Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. On a Tuesday morning and of the, oh, I don't know, 14 months in which I've been doing this show with Mark and Kevin, this is, and my name is Jake, uh, this is, without question, the most optimistic I've been on a Tuesday morning. The most upbeat, the most excited. Uh, I mean, I woke up at 4, got pressed, primped, showered, ready, uh, ready to go, chomping at the bit all day long. All day long. Not just because Joe Wrights is going to join us on this show this morning. Not just because Dane Fife is going to be with us at 9 o'clock or we'll talk Ball State at 945 um, and not just because the weather is starting to break a little bit, even though it's supposed to be cold towards the end of the week, but it's supposed to be nice midweek. Kevin Bowen, the reason, the number one reason that I am the most excited this morning for any other morning in which we've done this show. Now, would you like to guess what that might be? Boy, um, man, my, my mind is racing there for a second. Uh, are you going to meet Coach Cooter at the airport? You are close. You couldn't be more close. But and, and trust me, I feel like he would come in the chicken limo. But the fact that we now have a show where we can talk about a coaching staff that is Shane, Bubba, Gus, and Jim Bob is the greatest. Like, I loved the Dukes of Hazard growing up. <laughs> I, I loved, I mean, Gunsmoke, Bonanza. I mean, that's what this feels like, right? You got to love it. Yeah, it is quite the... Uh yeah, it's quite the list so far. Uh, Jim Bob Cooter and then a couple other position coaches uh, reportedly joining Shane Second Staff. Uh, Tom Manning. Well, that's too normal a name. <laughs> <laughs> Tom. Okay, we got Tom. We'll add in there. Didn't we look it up? I mean, his official name, right, is Jim Bob Cooter, correct? Yeah, because Bubba's got to be... Oh, Bubba, no. There's got to be like a variation of Bubba that's like, you know. It says his his full name. It's James Robert Cooter. Okay. Then Jim Bob is correct. Yep. Now, what's Bubba's real name? Uh, Hang on. Let's see here. Bubba Ventrone. That's a good question. Raymond. I don't know that one. That's Raymond. Still awaiting a... That's right. Ray Ventrone is what he went by, I believe, as a player. Uh, we are still waiting official word on Bubba Ventrone, Gus Bradley returning to the staff, but so far of the three coaches that have reportedly been hired by Shane Steichen, again, all on the offensive side of the ball, as Jake said, Jim Bob Cooter, Coach Cooter, parents Harold and Sharon, very happy about that hire. And then you've got DeAndre Smith, <clears throat> the running backs coach, uh, coming over from the Giants. And then Tom Manning, the tight ends coach. And that is an interesting name in that he was on Frank Reich's staff back in 2018. That was that really historic year for the Colts tight ends. Eric Ebron, Jack Doyle, and company. Jack Doyle speaks very highly of Manning. He went back to college for a brief period, went to Iowa State uh, with Matt Campbell, and now is returning here, I presume, as the tight ends coach again. Uh, But, Jake, I think a couple things to point out. First off, you see offensive hires so far, which the expectation is that, you know, Gus Bradley and Bubba Ventrone would be retained in their roles. Again, nothing official yet. And then in, in Jim Bob Cooter's case, I think when we talked late last week, the thought was, what did you want in your offensive coordinator? And I mentioned, you know, past 
play calling experience I think is very important because if there comes a time in Shane Steichen's first year or down the road where he just wants to pass off those duties, having someone inside your building that has done that, and Shane, or, uh, Jim Bob Cooter did that with the Lions for a couple of seasons and actually had decent success with the Lions, I think that is advantageous. And then also, most recently, he worked with Trevor Lawrence. And when you talk about young quarterback and development there, we saw the jump with Trevor Lawrence from year one to year two. So um, I think this hire makes a lot of sense, not only in the name department, but also on the, uh, on the football. And by the way, from the tight end position, Kevin, in terms of coaching, uh, that's an area, the tight end is a critical area, I think, for the Colts because, you know, I think one of the areas where the Colts have maybe lacked is having, you know, we've seen it, and I realize that these guys don't grow a dime a dozen on trees, but having a playmaking yards after catch type tight end, I don't know that the Colts have that. They've got some guys that are... Big bodies, you know, Jack Doyle was kind of a Swiss Army knife. But they don't have that type player. But let's go back to the coaching situation for the Colts tight end, um, you know, which is a situation and a position we don't talk a lot about. But Clayton Adams, who had left the Colts in December to go to Stanford, he's now on the move because I guess he's going from Stanford to San Francisco, right? So this is a position that we knew they were going to have to fill. Yeah, Clayton Adams, yeah, that was kind of a wild turnaround. Um left what like late November early December the tight end coach position went to Stanford um, as their O-line coach he I think is from I want to say the Sacramento area so that kind of made a little sense now he's joining Jonathan Gannon's staff in Arizona he's going to be the O-line coach for the Cardinals Um, but you know offensively you know I think the expectation was you would see an entirely new staff and so far we are seeing, you know, a huge chunk, if not all of that staff, going to be replaced. Again, still no official word on Gus Bradley and Bubba Ventrone. We'll obviously monitor those situations, but with the combine starting a week from today, you've got to get these positions filled. So a lot to get to on that front. Good Tuesday morning to you, Kevin Bowen, Jake Query, and Mark Dykton. I am down here in Florida for a second day. This will be my final day of the week. Mark and Jake will take you. The rest of the way, and as we said, we'll be at the Combine for several days next week and looking forward to talking with Shane Steichen for the first time here on Kevin and Corey. Tonight, Jake, IU in East Lansing for a 9 o'clock tip against Michigan State. I know we touched on it yesterday. We'll hear a little bit of Trace Jackson Davis audio in a bit. Um, I, I expect a pretty emotional scene, uh, particularly before tip-off tonight in, in East Lansing. Yeah, you know, I can only imagine um – because of the fact, you know, I think everybody knows about what happened at Michigan State with the shooting there. They had their game at Michigan, so now they're back uh, in East Lansing. And that certainly prioritizes the health, the well-being of the student body there uh, amongst, you know, that, that's that's the most important thing, obviously. That said, you know, I do think that athletics provides an opportunity of camaraderie and a chance for the quote-unquote return to normalcy. And, you know having a basketball game on campus that is a huge part. I can only imagine if you are a student at Michigan State, both the football and basketball programs are probably a huge part, as they are at any school, of not only your you know, your outings as a student, but also just the pride in the school itself. So emotional, I'm sure, is correct for Michigan State tonight. But then when you go between the lines of it, the reality is, Kevin, that for Indiana – you know, Indiana has done, and I think, give them credit. We talked about when Indiana had hit a losing skid there, and there was a time when they were, I think, 10-6 and six, that 
we, and obviously, I mean, primarily me, I guess, will take the blame here. I was way off base. I was wrong in saying, you know, hey, is this a team that's circling the drain and backpedaling its way out of the NCAA tournament because Mike Woodson got his group back together again? And they have played very, very well. But it starts, Kevin, with Trace Jackson Davis and the continued efforts to try to find some consistency to go alongside him from a scoring standpoint. Boy, and you talk about that away from home, and that's been such a mystery and such an issue um, for this team in the Big Ten season. It's pretty impressive they've overcome that, and obviously Trace is a huge part of that. I mean, you, you think back to the first matchup between these two teams. Uh, Indiana really controlled the entire game in Bloomington, beat Michigan State by 13. Trace Jackson Davis had 31-15. and 15. So, you know, that is, you hate to say a given, but it's almost been like the expectation with them in Big Ten season. But that wasn't the story of the game. For me, the story of the game was, Jake, they got 17 from Tamar Bates, and they got 17 from Trey Galloway. I mean, that is such an anomaly, again, particularly away from home. Um, so, obviously... You look at the three-point line in that matchup. I think IU outscored Michigan State by 15 from behind the arc. Again, that's not typically the norm. I know Indiana shot a lot better this season, but still, I don't know if that is the expectation you can rely on tonight. So I am looking forward to having Dane Fife on at 9 o'clock. I think um, he'll provide some not only just great perspective in general on the Big Ten right now in Indiana, but certainly um, – you know his thoughts on East Lansing and everything that that town and that campus has meant to him over the last decade and what his thoughts were when he heard the news last week. Uh, did you have a good rest of your President's Day? Todd messaged me and said he wanted to go 25 for 25 on the pop quiz. He was impressive yesterday. Todd was impressive right out of the box. Um, I mean, five for five. I, and I, I, there were a couple of hints written in, right? I mean, I don't know that you get the wrestling question with Abe Lincoln without using the word grapples and in, in, in the clue, right? But I, I don't think Abe has a great wrestling body. Abe looks like a swimmer to me. I would agree with that. Maybe a volleyball player if they had volleyball back then. Taller fella. Oh, that's right? a great call. Yeah, you think Abe call. would have been good in the post? Oh, <laughs> like uh, yeah. That, stretch four. Yeah, TJ Leaf. <laughs> stretch four. TJ Leaf Lincoln. is probably a good call, right? Mm-hmm. Which is good because TJ Leaf's dealing with foreign affairs right now, playing in China. So that would have been beneficial to the presidency. <laughs> you, your, your angst is the wrong word. Your incredulous nature over the career of TJ Leaf is one of my favorite <laughs> subplots of the show. <laughs> I mean, well, I, I I don't want to get on a seven ten in the morning rant, Jake. But I always feel this way when the Raptors play the Pacers. Um, and again, I know hindsight's twenty twenty with every draft. But when the Indiana kid is taking a few spots after the non Indiana kid, and, and I get that you know Alford and Reggie people can bring up, but I I, I just felt like OG Ananobi coming off the ACL. People thought, boy, if he didn't have that, he'd be a lottery pick. Yeah, I mean, and obviously been a very good player. Um, I did not do much. I actually went home. Uh, I had kind of a busy day yesterday and then went on with JMV at 4 o'clock like I do on Mondays. Uh, I did. I knocked out three assignments to kind of work ahead since I'm going to be out of town this weekend, so that was good. Nice. Um, good for you. And then went to the gym. What about yourself? Tell me about life in Florida. So I, I think I told you guys right after the show ended, I knew Rosie would be like, uh, you need to get in the pool. So I think I was in the pool by like 10.04 yesterday. Luckily, it is beautiful weather. It's really mid-70s all week long. Um, so yeah, hopped in the pool there. And then the, our, the beach axis, we're on the Gulf side in Anna Maria Island. The beach axis isn't too, too far. So we lugged some chairs down there, hung out there for a bit, and then... 
you know, there there's two young babies in the house. We're just kind of like trying to match up times with, all right, you know, bottle here, bottle there, nap time here, nap time here. Uh, did a little bit of a tour of the uh, town around around our place. So, uh, yeah, Rosie, Maddie, Max, and I uh, made an ice cream run there. So, yeah, it was fun. And we nice. were actually in bed pretty pretty early. So it was a good first kind of, I guess Sunday was our first full day, but uh, first full weekday here at uh, Anna Marie Island. What was the weather? I mean, like, what are we talking, 80s? Like 75-ish, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to complain at all. Although I thought I heard it was decent up there yesterday, right? Not terrible. Now, it's supposed to be... I think towards the end of the week, like I know in Lawrence on the weekend, it's supposed to be like 15 degrees on Saturday. So Lawrence, Lawrence Kansas. Kansas, not Lawrence, Indiana. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, that's probably moving its way through here. But I mean, it's February. This time of year, I've always said it's easier because, you know, you're kind of towards the end of the tunnel. Right. I mean, you're we're heading into March. I'm sure we have probably another, you know, snow or two left. But, you know, it's not going to be. Uh, we now. always we always get a combine sectional snow. All the national media moans and complains about coming to Indy for the combine once it starts snowing. So, yeah, I have a feeling that could be in the works next week. Uh, Pacers back to practice today. Rick Carlisle not messing around. He says, let's end this all-star break a little bit earlier. I think the Pacers have a late afternoon, early evening practice. They are at home Thursday with the Celtics. And obviously, you got the girls' basketball state finals in that building coming up this weekend. So the Pacers will go on the road for a few after that. I am curious, Jake, and something we can get into today. You know, I know I threw this question at Alex Golden yesterday. What do you want to see in the final 22 games? Again, uh, selfishly, I, I could use four wins to help pay for this trip to Anna Marie Island, among other things. Um, but outside of that, I, I do want to see Benedict Mather in, in the starting lineup. I, I feel like it's kind of time for that. You know, you, you get a couple of practices in here early this week, and with him and Halliburton, Halliburton back healthy and looking fine, um, I think it's really important to see that duo play and play long stretches together. And, and I think it's not only in the short term, but also the long term. Because if you look at the Pacers season, their worst quarters of the year have been the first and the third quarters. Well, your starters play a good chunk of the start of each of those quarters. So even if Rick Carlisle is trying to provide a spark to get back into the playoff picture, he would do that. And then obviously I think more more importantly, it, it's key to the future development and the future backcourt of your team to get those two guys used to playing together heading into next season. I feel like down the stretch, and I don't disagree on Matherin, uh, you know, you have spent the first half, and by first half, Kevin, let's be real, we both know we're breaking the season into halves based on the All-Star break. It's really more like two-thirds and a third in, in terms of the way it breaks out. But you spent the pre-All-Star break kind of in different phases, if you're the Pacers, of seeing what you have and then kind of exceeding expectation and, oh, wow, and, and pushing in a little bit. And then maybe, obviously, Halliburton gets hurt and, you know, you're kind of flailing around a little bit. So I think now comes the time of you have a pretty good idea which guys can play, which guys fall out of rotation a little bit, and you have seen different combinations. So I think you spend the last third of the year simply figuring out which combination is the best that is your nucleus moving forward. Because, right. and who works the best with one another? You know, I, Isaiah Jackson. At times, they've used a lot. Then they send him to Fort Wayne, or at times they use him a lot, and then he sits and watches. I mean, obviously, you know, Jalen Smith used him a ton early, and now all of a sudden, 
you know, is on a milk carton. Now, is that because they just have not liked what they've seen, or is that because they know what they have in him and therefore want to be able to experiment with others to get a better feel? You know, there there are several ways that you can look at those things, but I think now is the time to kind of stop dilly-dallying around with different combinations and pick the one that is who, in fact, you want to be kind of your center identity moving forward and see where the chips fall with it and then add pieces to it via the draft and you know maybe a move in the offseason. But uh, the time is now, wouldn't you agree, Kevin, to kind of let the cream that is going to be your core rise to the top? Yeah, and I think it's you know it's the perfect time of the season in terms of again you have the All Star break you get two straight practices today and tomorrow that's very unusual during NBA season um, and you've got 22 to go and you know when you think about the starting lineup we've seen this here you know leading into the All Star break they've kind of rotated that fifth spot I mean it was Andrew Nemhard it was Chris Duarte for a bit uh, TJ McConnell I want to say started the final game before the All Star break so they haven't really found the fifth starter with. You know, Buddy Heald, Halliburton, Neesmith, and Miles Turner. And again, I understand what Rick's thinking in providing Matherin with that second unit allows him to dominate the ball, all of those things. But that's not going to be the future of your franchise there. So I do think that is something um, to explore. Um, right now, sixth in the old tank order, the Pacers, 26-34. and 34. If you look at those odds as they return back from break, Jake, they have a 37% chance at a top four pick, and they still have a 9% chance at Webb and Yama. Can you imagine if they got Webb? For those that are unfamiliar, I can't imagine there are many, but Webb and Yama is, what, 19-year-old French guy that's seven foot three and plays like uh, he plays like Tyrese Halliburton, right? I mean, he's a shooting guard that can kind of do a little of everything. He is probably the most anticipated draft prospect since LeBron James. I, I, I don't think that's oh, you know, agreed. hyperbole, sure. yeah. right? Um, should we do the tankathon here? I was, I was kind of waiting for the music. <laughs> Hang on just a second. You know who's moving up in the draft? I looked yesterday. Uh, Jalen hood Shafino is moving up quickly. In- Boy, he makes some big plays late in games, and you know scouts have got to love that. I know he had the one turnover on Saturday, but yeah, scouts have got to really I like that. I think they like it's his a- defense as well. It's a you're going to see this, Jake, when you pull up the tankathon. It's a jumbled like five through fourteen, and basically what that means is if the Pacers start to win games, like if they go whatever twelve and ten down the stretch or fourteen and eight, they could fall and get a little bit into that ten, eleven, twelve range. And obviously, if you're in that range, you could be in the play-in. So I, I know that's kind of pulling at strings for some Pacers fans, but I think that's the reality of where you're at with twenty-two games to go. Okay, here we go. With the fourth pick in the 2023 NBA mock draft, the Indiana Pacers select Brandon Miller from the University of Alabama. Another statue. By the way, another statue. We're going to have a lot of statues. The Indiana Pacers select Colby Jones from Xavier University. And then, don't forget. With the 30th pick in the 2023 NBA mock draft, the Indiana Pacers select Azulus Tabilis from the University mm. of Arizona. And then they got the oh, oh, is that the, 
And then wait a minute, and we're not, we don't have to do it again, but Belil Kolobli from the Metropolitan's 92 with the 31st pick. <laughs> Thanks. I'd I mean, like for them to get three Belil. For three, you might as well go four for four. Thank you, Mark. On Can the, we get uh, Belil to hang out with Bubba and Jim Bob? That'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and yeah, maybe Belil can you know marry Jim Bob's sister. Uh, <laughs> that the Arizona kid, that was the kid that kind of tore up IU. He was a good player in that game. I got a buddy that's a great or a huge Xavier fan. He would love that Colby Jones pick. What instrument do you think is the tankathon or is the draft? Do you think that's like a chime? Or like a triangle, you know. They always gave me the triangle back in the day to play. It's not an electric harp, right? Can we hear it one more time? Sounds like bells. How they have the bells ringing and stuff. Yeah, That's what it like. sure. Yeah, I think it's an impressive triangle player. <laughs> well, we'll I really see. do. Wow, fourth pick, Brandon Miller. Uh, it's Phil Jackson statue. playing that, by the way. <laughs> that was good. Uh, build the statue on that front there. I would, uh, I'd be a fan of that. So again, Boston coming up on Thursday for the Pacers. That is a home game with the Celtics. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown coming off their um, impressive layup line performances in the NBA All Star game, and then it's a four game road trip after that. Something I do want to hit on a little bit later today. I'm not expecting much activity on this, but Jake, uh, NFL teams are allowed to use the franchise tag. Starting today, I think it's about a two-week period that you're allowed to do that. You care to guess the last Colt? They got the old franchise tag slapped on them. Okay, that is a great question. Okay, let me ask you this this hint disclaimer with no other information other than yes, no, because I don't recall. Did they ever franchise tag Andrew Luck? No. Okay, then I will go with Pat McAfee. In 2013, a very upset Patrick McAfee at Ryan Grigson for slapping the franchise tag on him. I don't understand why he would have been upset by that, though, because didn't that pay him? You're guaranteed to be paid as a top five player at your position. Didn't he so make yeah, a- you average this. So it's one of two. You either get 120% of your current deal or you get the top five at your position, the the average salaries, whichever is higher. So in McAfee's case, being a seventh-round pick, end of his rookie deal, it was the top five. Yeah, it, it you get paid handsomely. Jake, I think the issue McAfee had was it delays him getting to a, to the long contract. Right, I get You basically that. are saying you don't get the five-year guaranteed money um, like – you know, other guys do. So the Colts, again, have not used it. I, I would argue they haven't had a lot of players that would qualify for the franchise tag, which, you know, is probably the reason why they went 4-12-1 here this past season. We can go over a couple names. Again, I don't see anybody eye-popping this year, but we will see some franchise tag action happen here in the next couple of weeks. All right, Joe Wrights joins us at 8.30. Looking forward to that conversation. I think the position Joe Wrights plays uh, is the bigger hire than offensive coordinator Jim Bob Cooter, who actually was on the staff when Joe Wrights was in Indianapolis. So we can talk with Joe about that. Dane Fife going to join us at 9 o'clock. Again, it's a, uh, anytime it's Indiana at Michigan State, it's a notable game. A little bit more than just a basketball game tonight. So we'll chat with Dane Fife coming in the 9 o'clock hour. And new Ball State AD Jeff Mitchell joins us. Michael Lewis and company obviously having a great season. We'll chat a little Ball State coming up to round out the show. Jake's a little hungover from President's Day, understandably so. Emotional hangover um, from President's Day. Good Tuesday morning to you. Kevin Bowen, Jake Quarry, Mark Dykton, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. 
Morning Checkdown. Brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. We will tip things off, pardon the pun, with college basketball, the AP and coaches poll. Now, I always forget, Mark, is it AP that came out first that we did yesterday and now the coaches polls out? I believe so. The coaches yesterday. I think the AP comes out first. Well, either way, the top five is the same in both, except for the fact that Kansas is third in the AP poll and UCLA fourth. Those are flip-flopped in the coaches poll. But most importantly, Purdue comes in at number five in both polls. Indiana is number 17. Speaking of Indiana, big one for them tonight, Kevin, in East Lansing. Yeah, it is. It's a rematch, 82-69 back in Bloomington last month in that game. Trace Jackson Davis was outstanding, 31-15. and Probably the bigger storyline, which shows you that Trace has kind of created the norm for that. Tomorrow, Bates, Trey Galloway, 17 each. IU outscored Michigan State by 15 from behind the arc. Jalen Hood-Shafino kind of had a quiet game in that first meeting but tonight IU is a slight underdog and it is going to be a pretty emotional environment in East Lansing it will be the first home game for Michigan State since the shooting on campus last week they had their home game that week canceled with Minnesota they did play at Michigan over the weekend lost by 12 in that one but here was Trace Jackson Davis over the weekend on playing at Michigan State tonight yeah, first and foremost, um, just thoughts and prayers out to them. I think I speak for our whole team on that. And I love Coach Izzo, and um, that, that place is going to be rocking. Um, they're going to play with a lot of emotion, a lot of heart, and so we got to be ready. Um, but sometimes it's bigger than basketball, so um, obviously we just got to go in its business. But at the same time, um, it is what it is. Um, we're going to play hard, and they're going to play hard, and then if we get one, we get one, but we just got to go at them. Michigan State currently set, by the way, or at least predicted as a seven seed in the tournament. That seems a little lofty to me. We'll get into that a little bit later in the show. Kent State and Ball State tonight at seven o'clock. Worthen Arena. Michael Lewis is getting nineteen and eight overall. They are ten and four in MAC play. But Kent State comes in with a four-game winning streak. Uh, Kevin Pacers back on the hardwood today. That's a big one for Michael Lewis's uh, bunch. I think Kent State kind of the favorite right now in the MAC. Yes, Pacers back to practice later this afternoon, maybe early evening actually practice as they return from the All-Star break. It was kind of funny. Tyrese Halliburton was like, oh, I didn't realize that you're supposed to fly out after the game uh, Sunday night. He stayed in Salt Lake City, um, so didn't really get a time uh, away per se, but obviously a great experience for him out in Salt Lake City. Scott Agnes will join us later in the week to chat more about that. Uh, the Pacers will have the Celtics at home 22 games to go so they've already played 60 22 to go not really the halfway point but the all-star break about two months to go a little less than that in the regular season as we mentioned earlier the Pacers currently have the sixth worst record in the NBA we'll have to go on an impressive run here to get back into the play-in picture uh we come back here on kevin and query joe wrights is going to join us in about an hour dane fife around nine o'clock uh, but we'll get back into the colts coaching staff updates they have made three reported hires all on one side of the ball and the offensive coordinator hire is one that i think checks some boxes that needed to be checked we'll talk about that coming up next whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Here, Kevin Aquari on a Tuesday. 21 minutes before the hour of 8 o'clock. Good morning to you, Jake Quarry, along with Kevin Bowen, who is down in FLA, that is Florida, not like some sort of bad statement about Los Angeles, which I love. Uh, Mark Dykton here as well. Joe Wright's going to join us at 8.30. Then at 9 o'clock, Dane Fife joins us. And at 9.45, we'll talk a little Ball State athletics. But right now, the Colts yesterday. Kevin, I wanted to ask you this because I can't be alone, even though we have gone over this before. I think it's worth repeating. The first reaction when people hear that the Colts have hired an offensive coordinator is, okay, I wonder like, if he likes to be aggressive. What's he like to call on third downs? Does he like to run the ball a lot? But we already know that Shane Steichen will be calling the plays for the Colts. So question is, what exactly is the responsibility of the offensive coordinator if it's not to call the plays? Yeah, it's great. It's a great question. Um, yeah, I think it's something that Shane Steichen, you know, hopefully can clarify for us next week when we chat with him at the combine. But you know, by and large, I think it's a lot of game plan stuff. Um, I, I'm sure there will be a lot of quarterback centric kind of one on one sessions with Jim Bob Cooter. You know, being in those meeting rooms, especially when Shane Steichen maybe has other duties you know, head coach type of roles and responsibilities. Um, But again, heavy in game planning and, you know, pass protection plans, I think would be another thing that you'd probably put on that list. You know, that is something that is really important from a Monday through, you know, Saturday sort of planning standpoint. But, um, you know, something that I've always remembered, and I know Peyton has said this, Peyton Manning has said this on, you know, various Manning cast and, you know, Jim Bob Cooter, you know, worked here in Indy for three years with Peyton and then was out in Denver for a season. So clearly, you know, he left some sort of positive impression on Peyton. You know, Peyton has said routinely that the most important job for a quarterback is to make sure your offense does not walk into a bad play. Like, you've got to identify that before the snap happens and obviously get your offense out of that bad play, or if for some reason you can't do it based on the play clock, you make sure that bad play does not become worse. And when I think of, you know, what you want to do instill into a rookie quarterback, that would be close to the top of that list. So I do think that is something really important for Jim Bob Cooter and this entire staff to be able to get done. You know, I said it earlier in the show, Jake, you know, the stuff that I was kind of curious about with this offense coordinator hire, there were three things on my checklist. One was I did think it was important to find some previous play calling experience, even though he's not going to do that. I think it's important for Shane Steichen to have that in the building, bounce ideas off of. And if the, for some reason, you know, Shane Steichen hits a bit of a crossroads and realizes too much is on his plate, he can pass that off and you aren't doing it to a first time. Uh, play caller. Uh, two would be some young quarterback background. Now, it's not a huge young quarterback background for Jim Bob Cooter, but last year he was with Trevor Lawrence as the passing game coordinator in Jacksonville, and obviously we know what happened in year two for Lawrence. Matthew Stafford, Peyton Manning seemed to be kind of the other QBs. Third was personality, and I'm not, you know, I'm not going to act like I know Jim Bob Cooter great. Joe Wrights is going to join us here in less than an hour. I know Joe, um, Jim Bob was on his staff a little bit uh, late in uh, Jim Bob's tenure here and, and kind of Joe's early playing career. 
So maybe we'll get a little bit of insight into that. But I do think it's good to have kind of a contrast in personalities because that's why I thought um, Frank Reich and Nick Sirianni had some success here. So I'm good at the hire. Again, when you're hiring an offense coordinator, Jake, that's not a play caller, you're probably limited a bit in in who you're going to attract here. But I think it makes some sense um, for this to be the move. I I think when you look at it, you've got a head coach named Shane which was a fabulous Western. My dad's favorite movie of all time. Alan Ladd was in that. Then you've got an assistant coaching staff of Bubba, Gus, and and now Jim Bob. When when you factor all of those in, if we're going with like a, you know, TV land, midday Western drama, then the next name that has to go under there would be CJ, right? Doesn't CJ sound like that's like the name of the – the sharpshooting Western guy that just walked into the saloon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, AJ maybe. Uh-huh. Well, but yeah, but yeah. CJ over Bryce. CJ over Anthony. Oh, uh, now okay. Will. Let's see what we're doing here. Will feels like a little bit of. What about Willie? Yeah, Willie Levis. That sharpshooting Willie Levis. <laughs> now, do I do we call him Jim Bob, Coach Cooter, Coot? <laughs> um. This is actually such a good scene, if you don't mind me I saying know. so. But it's my um, mom and dad's first date was this movie. I feel like you know what, Kevin. There's part I'm of me that's like, what we call him. Uh, boy, that's. I mean, I, I just called Parks Fraser Parks. Called Marcus Brady. Mark. Hey, uh, hey, Nick. Yeah, I mean, hey, hey, Jim. Hey, Jim Bob. Hey, uh, it's got to be. Cooter. Hey, Coot. You know, you could go with the Ed Sorensen school of thought. When I worked at Channel 6, Ed Sorensen used to be the, the best at this. Somebody Mr. Knew Cooter? Would, somebody, somebody new would arrive on the scene athletically that had like a, a question, you know, a last name that could go a couple of ways. Ed Sorensen would walk up, put his arm around him and go, buddy, if you're at a party, how do you introduce yourself? And that's how he'd call him. Mike Vanderjat, for example, when he first got to town, Mike Vanderjat was like, well, my, my last name is actually Vanderjat. V-O-N-D-E-R-J-O-T is how I pronounce it. And Ed's like, okay. And Ed called him Vonderjot forever. And everybody's like, dude, he didn't even know how to say his last name. And Ed's like, that's what he says. He calls himself Vonderjot. Okay. Uh, Luke Luke Jimenez that played basketball at Indiana, for whatever reason, everybody called him Luke Jimenez. And it was like, no, it's it's actually Luke Jimenez. So we probably should ask him, but I guess Jim Bob just, Jim Bob goes well, doesn't it? No, it's got a great ring to it. Yeah, certainly. Got a great ring to it. The last name. Yeah, I think the last time I probably touched on a little bit too much last week. <laughs> Tony says, uh, what about just JB? That's probably safe, right? Yeah, that is, just that is JB. safe there. Yeah. Uh, when he was with Detroit, again, called the plays for Jim Caldwell up there to Jim Bob Cooter. A great, I'd say a pretty good passing offense. Not too great running the football, but you know they had some nice success actually with Matthew Stafford and the Lions. A couple nine win seasons there. Matt Patricia came in, and things just did not work out from there. So that's a little background on Jim Bob Cooter. The other two names so far: tight end coach Tom Manning that was announced yesterday, and then running backs coach DeAndre Smith from earlier in the week. Jake, I thought you made a good point earlier about Tom Manning. He walks into a tight end room where you have some. I mean, some notable investments. I mean, when you draft a tight end in round three like Jelani Woods or round four like Kylan Granson, 
I mean, you, you, you're drafting them to be, you know, some pretty important pieces for your offense. And obviously, they're still very young in their respective careers. But I think you are waiting for a little bit more from that group. Certainly, Mo Ali Cox, we, we, we've kind of all been waiting for, and I don't think he took the jump that you were hoping for this past season. And then Drew Ogletree, the rookie who had a really promising training camp, who tore his ACL late in camp at Grand Park this past year. Um, you know, you have some young guys in that room. And I remember talking to Jack Doyle. I mean, he loved his one season with Tom Manning. Tom Manning was the tight ends coach here in Indy in 2018. I would say the interesting part to Tom Manning's resume, Jake, he left Indianapolis after that 2018 season. He pretty much had a college background, came to Frank Reich's staff in 2018, coached the tight ends. He left to go back to Iowa State, where he was Matt Campbell's offensive coordinator. My thought process when he did that was, okay, I mean, Matt Campbell was like the hot name in college football for a couple of off-seasons. You know, okay, if you know Urban Meyer leaves or if Jim Harbaugh leaves or if Brian Kelly leaves, like Matt Campbell's going to be the guy that takes one of those jobs. Obviously, that never happened, but, you know, if you're Tom Manning, you're thinking, okay, maybe I could be the Iowa State head coach or maybe I could follow him to be the OC at one of those big, you know, colleges. Tom Manning was the OC at Iowa State for Brock Purdy. I think that's kind of an interesting element to this resume. In all likelihood, he comes here to be the tight ends coach. But this is a guy that has offensive coordinator background, quarterback background, and in Brock Purdy's case, clearly helped develop him to be ready for the NFL. I think the more people you can put on your offensive staff that help that that has that sort of background, Jake, I think is so beneficial because we see staff turnover on an annual basis. If you have success, you're going to have turnover. It's important to me that you have people in your building that have some versatility, particularly at quarterback, particularly an offensive coordinator, to where if all of a sudden you start having success and Coach Cooter goes somewhere else, boom, all of a sudden, can you promote a Tom Manning? Can you do some of those things? I think having that flexibility is is really key. So I do like the Tom Manning hire. Yeah, well, I like it for this fact. Jim Mersey longs for, and longs for is maybe the wrong word, has a great appreciation for the Peyton Manning era and the Peyton Manning offense, even though he didn't like Star Wars numbers. But what better thing to do than to take Peyton Manning and – of course, Tom Moore, his offensive coordinator, just combined the two into Tom Manning, right? <laughs> there we if go. I can't Let's get Jeff go. Saturday. I'm going to get a I'm going to get a Manning last name to try to get closer to Bill right. in there. And I can tell you right now, I, I'm warning you that I'm going to call DeAndre Smith DeAndre Swift a hundred thousand times. <laughs> but but you know, yeah. at the tight end position, Kevin, I want to get back to that. I I like the Colts' tight end room and the fact that they have. I do like. The body size, you know, I mean, Moali yeah, they got Cox, unique and, athletes. They do, but they're all kind of the same. They don't have, like, I think the thing that was great about Jack Doyle was he could kind of do a couple of different things. He was a blocker, but he also was, he was always a short yardage receiver that was reliable. It, it, it doesn't feel like, like I said, I had somebody say to me, look, the problem with the Colts tight end room is all their tight ends are battleships. It takes them way too long to turn around. And I think that that's a really good point about some of the limitation that they have. If if it's third and four, that's not so bad. But if you've got to get a, you know, if you need to get a guy that's going to run around, do an out, and then suddenly turn around and wait for the ball, you know. A, and again, Travis Kelsey is a unicorn. There's a reason that he is as good as he is, Kevin. Guys like that aren't just around all over the place. But 
most teams have at least one dynamic athletic tight end. It feels like that's what the Colts need. Am I off base here? Just one of them. Yeah, I think the Colts need to have someone that goes on the field and you aren't really tipping your hand as a blocker or as a receiver. I thought that's what made Doyle so effective. You know, he played such high snap counts because he would go out there and he could be a very successful inline blocker. Or, to your point, on third and six, he had such great timing and fundamentals that, you know, maybe what he lacked in athleticism compared to a Jelani Woods or a Mo Alley Cox, he could make, make up for in other ways and became a really reliable target uh that 2018 season when tom manning was here obviously eric ebron that was the big year for him you'll certainly have an andrew luck help but um the three hires so far that we've mentioned again all of these reported nothing official yet all on the offensive side of the ball so we still haven't gotten anything on gus bradley or bubba ventrone officially coming back, but the fact that they're hiring guys only for offense right now would lend you to think that that will be happening. Again, I expect hires to continue to trickle out this week with the NFL Combine starting next week. Uh, We mentioned it in the last segment, the franchise tag, Jake, uh, the average of the top five salaries at a player's position or 120% of the previous salary for that player. You look at the Colts free agent list this season, honestly, I don't see anybody that qualifies for that. You'd be really stretching it if you thought Chase McLaughlin uh, deserved that type of money for pretty much being a journeyman kicker until this season. McLaughlin had a really nice season. Don't want to discredit that, but I don't think you need to slap a franchise tag on him. Bobby Okereke, no. Too much money at linebacker. See, Okereke would be the one... I, I, I'm going to push back a little bit on that, Kevin. If Okereke, I don't disagree with you, but I think that that's conditional based on Shaquille Leonard's health. If all of a sudden we see that the Colts have slapped the tag on Bobby Okereke, that tells me that they know that Shaquille Leonard is still limited in terms of his health. If he's ready to go, if Leonard's 100% ready to go, I agree with you. But I think there's a question mark there. The issue with that, Jake, is we're not going to know that. Like, you have to make this decision here in the next couple of weeks. You know, you you really won't know with Leonard. He was uber optimistic late in the season when talking about his, you know, second surgery and how he feels like he's finally got it corrected and, you know, had a ton of credit to Jeff Saturday for kind of pushing him to get that second surgery and ending his 2022 season. But I, it's just an issue where I don't think you can afford to do that and you won't know about Leonard. I'd rather bring back EJ Speed on a much more affordable deal. Speed played the most special team snaps of any Colt last season. Um, I just think Okereke is going to garner a, a really nice contract on the open market. The other name I think to keep in mind, particularly if Gus Bradley is brought back, is Yanni Kangakwe. And again, I don't know if you'd necessarily franchise tag Yanni Kangakwe, but this is a guy that did play 15 games and have nine and a half sacks for you. And those are not numbers that, you know, I, I think people just kind of you know, shouldn't just turn their head at. Uh, Colts defensive ends do not really produce at that level, or at least haven't in the past few years. And if Gus Bradley's brought back, he clearly views Yanni Kangakwe as a piece for his defense. If not, I think you're kind of in scramble mode to find that starting defensive end opposite Quiddy Pay. So uh, I, I think he would be just another name that I don't think will call, qualify for the franchise tag, but he would be one that I'd be thinking about. You, you know, you need Ngakwe. That we know, right? Oh, God. 
boy. I don't know. If we'll In find my out, opinion, that we'll sucks. find out yeah. if the Colts uh-huh. agree. By yeah. the way, just, is it j- just get me to ten o'clock and then and and then I'm off for the rest of the week. Off to the beach, right? Is it odd? Odd is probably the wrong word, but it seems rare, does it not? That you have coaches in Shane Steichen, your head coach, Bubba Ventrone, your special teams coordinator, Jim Bob Cooter, your offensive coordinator. Um, you know, you mentioned Tom Manning, your tight ends coach, all under the age of 40 or under. That seems rare, doesn't it? Yeah, and I am. You know, what I want to see with the rest of this staff, Jake, is like, and if you hire Gus Bradley, of course, you know, he's going to be pretty old on that compared to everybody else. Um, You know, he's going to be on the older side. I do think you want to see a mix. You want to see a mix of college and NFL backgrounds because especially on offense the college game is infiltrating the NFL game so frequently that's why I kind of like a little bit of the Tom Manning situation there it's important I think to continue to tap into that game but also I do think you need to balance with some veterans on your staff Uh, DeAndre Smith the running backs coach has some of that again Gus Bradley would as well I do think and, and, and I should mention, Gus's two assistants currently on the staff, uh, Ron Milas, the DB coach, Richard Smith, the linebackers coach, have both been in the league for a long, long time. So that would balance some things out. All right, Joe Wright's going to join us in a half hour, and Dane Fife at 9 o'clock. Again, it's going to be an emotional scene tonight in East Lansing. Uh, Dane Fife uh, certainly has a lot of history up there. We'll talk Hoosiers and Spartans coming up with him at 9 o'clock. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. A little bit chilly to start your morning this morning, but a good-looking Tuesday to you. 38 degrees outside. Good morning to you. Jake Query here along with Kevin Bowen. Mark Dykton here as well. Joe Wright's going to join us 30 minutes from now. Dane Fife. In an hour, 8 o'clock hour underway, we talked plenty about the Colts. Let's switch gears a little bit, Kevin. Big one tonight in East Lansing that we talked about between Indiana and Michigan State. The emotions for Michigan State are obviously going to be there, understandably so. Their first home game since the shooting that took place on their campus. But if we were to focus on the basketball side of things, you know, the reality to me, I looked this up and I was a little surprised by this. When you think of Michigan State, Kevin, like I always think, Michigan State certainly is branded in such a way, especially this time of year where you think, okay, you know, Tom Izzo's group, it's it's late, headed towards March. This is when they start to gel together. Now, we say that a lot, but the reality, you know, Tom Izzo won title. And that doesn't, titles don't define a coach. Don't get me wrong. They're, you know, Gene Cady was a fabulous coach, never went to a Final Four. But... Michigan State you always think of as being like this legit early March and you know on the road it's always going to be tough I get it but I'm a little fascinated by this is their name brand carrying them a little bit and by that I mean the following if you look at Michigan State's body of work this year it feels to me like Michigan State, this is a big game for them, and they almost have to get this game because it would be the final stamp they need to secure themselves in the tournament. That was my school of thought on it because I'm looking at them. They're 16-10 and 10 overall. They're ninth in the Big Ten. Their body of work, they played Gonzaga to start the year. They lost. They beat Kentucky. Kentucky may not even make the tournament. They beat Villanova. Villanova's not going to make the tournament. They played Alabama and lost. 
They beat Oregon. They lost to Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, by a lot. And then you look in the Big Ten. They've been swept by Purdue. They so far have lost to Indiana. They've lost to Rutgers. They did, you know, they did just beat Maryland. But it, it, they don't seem to have like for me a seven seed. I mean, a seven seed is very safely in, and yet it feels to me like they are. Their body of work indicates they should be a bigger bubble team than they are. Are they resting a little bit on their laurels? I don't know the answer to that. But you can bet they certainly want to get this one tonight with Indiana. Well, I'd keep them out of the tournament just for losing to Notre Dame by 18. You know, <laughs> any team that loses to Notre Dame by 18 this season doesn't deserve to make the tournament. You know, in typical Izzo fashion, Jake, I do think that non-conference schedule is always one of the toughest in the nation. And that certainly helps you out from a resume standpoint. I know on paper, you know, you mentioned some of those wins. They certainly didn't look or haven't looked as good as you would think based off a brand standpoint with Kentucky and Villanova this season. You know, they schedule so many games away from home. So I think that also helps them out. But yeah, I, I was a little bit surprised to see them, like you said, 16 and 10. I know conference record is not part of the, you know, resume, but to see them, you know, somewhat comfortably into the tournament, you would think that they would need to get just a couple of here down the stretch. And they are favored tonight for what it's worth. They are a two and a half point favorite. You know, when you look at IU lately on the road, Jake, their last four road games, they've averaged 59 points in those four road games. And this is kind of the age-old question for really every team in college basketball, but you know maybe it's just because we you know, follow a little closer from an in-state standpoint. But with Indiana especially, it just seems like on the road, you know, it's hard to get what you got in this first matchup in Bloomington. And that was Tamar Bates going off for 17. I mean, we've seen how Bates has played since then. He hasn't sniffed that. You know, Trey Galloway's been a little bit more steady, but he had 17 in the first matchup in Bloomington. It's just so difficult to get anything on the road when it's not Trace Jackson Davis and Jalen hood Shafino. And if you look at the four opponents you've played recently, obviously you lost to Maryland. You, you, you survived against Michigan. You survived against Minnesota. You know, you, you found ways to win a little bit uglier, which obviously is a big step forward because, you know, I mentioned this yesterday too often with Indiana, and this predates Mike Woodson, certainly, and honestly, it was probably at the end of the Crean era a little bit, is, you know, you had these ugly performances in February, and they snowballed into continued, uh, continued ugly performances, and they would end in losses, and you weren't able to stem the tide, you weren't able to stop the bleeding, and Indiana has, you know, really hadn't had any sort of losing streak situation since you know, early January. So I'm a little, I, I thought it'd be closer to a pick maybe Indiana's slight favorite, and this one, again, Trace Jackson Davis was. So Trace Jackson Davis, we lost Kevin for a second there. Between these two teams. There we go. Uh, go ahead, Kevin. We lost you for a second. You were talking about Trace Jackson Davis. Yeah, Trace. Yeah, Trace. Yeah, thirty-one and fifteen in the in the first matchup. I mean, Michigan State, and we'll talk to Dane Dane Five in less than an hour about this. You'd assume that they're going to double a good amount. Um, that would be the assumption there. Obviously, their plan for him did not work out in the first matchup. You know, a question that I don't think is maybe relevant for tonight, Jake. I don't know if it's relevant for Saturday at Mackey when Indiana goes up there, but you know, maybe next week. When does Xavier Johnson come back? And how does that look? How does that look for Jalen Huchifino? How does that look for an Indiana team that, again, could use, I think, an additional guy, particularly away from home? Um, To me, if you're going to go to the second weekend of the tournament, 
I think you need Xavier Johnson. I understand there's volatility there. I understand there's, like Lance Stevenson, good Lance and bad Lance. There's good Xavier and bad Xavier. But for me, with how this team is away from home, I think if you're going to get to the second weekend and maybe make even a deeper run, I think you have to have the Xavier Johnson that we saw late last season when you did re-enter the NCAA tournament picture. Xavier Johnson, to me, Kevin, he's an interesting guy because – he is certainly a plug-and-play guy. By that, I mean he's experienced. You know what he brings to the table. Indiana knows what he brings to the table. But he also, because of the fact that he's kind of inconsistent, I think they need a couple of games to kind of reacclimate with him. So, in other words, I don't know that you just put him in. Like, if he's not, if he's available in the NCAA tournament, then, like, in their opening round game against you know, Cal State Fullerton, he's going to have to get a lot of minutes. If they are able to get him acclimated before, say, the Big Ten tournament or the NCAA tournament, I I think they've got to get him some games just because even though he is a veteran player, they've played so long without him now and without kind of his roller coaster level that I think they need to find some, some stability back in with him to just get used to having him on the floor again, partially also because they have become so reliant in the last six weeks on Trace Jackson Davis, and that's worked, right? I mean, what we have found is that Trace Jackson Davis, he is you can keep going to him and keep going to him and keep going to him, but you've got to find somebody else that can assist him from game to game. And to your point, they've been able to get it in various spots, just not consistently. That's the problem, Kevin, with Xavier Johnson. He is undoubtedly the guy that is most likely to be Trace Jackson Davis's running mate, but consistency is the issue there. Yeah, I just I think his return, Jake, you got to alleviate some stress on Trace and on Jalen Huchafino. I, I maybe you don't see it as you know laboring kind of late in games. Huchafino, of course, has made some great plays late, but certainly there are stretches where he has looked like a freshman to be expected. And so I just think again, removing some of that from those guys' plates is important. I I would not play Xavier Johnson Saturday in Mackey. <laughs> I don't think that's the time you would want him to re-enter the fold. I do think next week, you know, when you have Iowa and you have Michigan, both of those games at home for you to close things out. I think that could be beneficial to kind of reacclimating him into the lineup. And then, you know, from a Big Ten tournament standpoint, Indiana's in line for a double bye, which is not what we're used to seeing as of late from this program. So, you know, you, you would potentially get, you know, a game, if not more, um, on that end to reacclimate him into the lineup as well. So I do think you should be in a position where it's not like you're throwing him out there in the first game of the tournament and all of a sudden he's playing a ton of minutes for you or you are nervous about, oh boy, he hasn't played in, you know, what, three months by that point, exactly how he's he's going to look and those things. So I am curious about that. You brought up uh, Gene Cady earlier, Jake. Did I see that Gene Cady is a Naismith Hall of Fame finalist? Correct. And I... It'd be great if he got in. I, I mean, you know, Katie is one of those coaches that I don't know that people How truly, does that work? Well, they have, you mean in terms of what the process is? Because yeah. I'm looking to see what the, you know, we know it for baseball and we know it, you know, the, the Basketball Hall of Fame process seems to me to be the one that, like, we just kind of, you know, it, it it's the le- the least scrutinized, right? Um, I'm looking to see what the process is in terms of what voting he needs, and I'm not even sure who the voters are, to be honest with you. 
uh, guidelines for nomination and election into the Naismith Hall of Fame. Okay, the nomination process, a completed nomination form procured from the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame shall be submitted to the president and CEO by October 31st. I don't know if that means anybody can submit that or somebody who works in basketball. For eligibility as a coach, a coach must be either fully retired for four seasons, obviously Katie is, or if still an active coach, have coached as either a full-time assistant or head coach on the high school and or college and professional level for a minimum of 25 years. Um, Then after that, there are committees that then vote on the, the among those that are nominated. And, and I'll be honest, Kevin, I don't know what the percentage has to be. A finalist, here we go, a finalist must garner a minimum of 18 votes from the respective honors committee. That's in the honors committee. There, so each respective, whether you are in the honors committee or the board of trustees nominates you depending on which group you were nominated there then is a minimum number of votes amongst that group that are necessary for you to be elected that, that's the easiest way to say it I, I think katie certainly merits it um huh you know one of his uh, aside the thing about gene katie to me that i think just is tremendous and I'm not saying anything in an original school of thought here by any stretch of the imagination. But I don't know that any coach over the course of Katie's tenure got more out of the players that he had than Gene Katie. I mean, it was really remarkable that, and yeah, certainly you could say that the roster building is on the coach itself. So maybe it's on him that he had, quote unquote, lesser players coming in, not lesser players at Purdue. I mean, Steven Scheffler got absolutely the most that he could get out of out of himself as a college basketball player. Jim Rowinski got the most that he could get out of himself as a college basketball player. Jerron Cornell got the most he could get out of himself as a college basketball player. Gene Cady did a remarkable job of taking groups of players and maximizing what they had and then working them together as a tenacious defensive unit that you just absolutely hated going against. And one of the... And I hate to, and I know Purdue fans hate when things are compared against Indiana. I respect it. I understand that. But the fact that Gene Cady, Kevin, I think one of the real calling card measures of Gene Cady, aside from the Big Ten titles and the three peat and the number one seeds, the fact that Gene Cady is the only coach in the Big Ten during Bob Knight's tenure to have a winning record against Bob Knight is pretty darn impressive. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that certainly is. Um, the finalists, Jake, are pretty impressive as well for this year. You have Paul, uh, Paul Gasol, uh, Gene Cady, Tony Parker, Greg Popovich, Dwayne Wade. Uh, looks like the class will be announced at the Final Four, so that'll be in Houston coming up April 1st. Boy, that would be... I'm probably getting way ahead of myself here. Purdue fans are like, dude, shut the hell up. But can you imagine Purdue in the Final Four? Gene Cady goes in the Hall of Fame the same weekend. 8-15 mark on February. What is today? The 24th? Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Hey, come on. That's not a jinx. I hope not. I hope it is. It's not. on you, Kevin. Just stating not. a fact. What, remember when I talked about the Indy 500 weather and it was a glorious weather day? Are you going to jinx that now, too? Dude, don't, don't even go there. Don't even go there. Uh, Jake, I to- thought about it. Somebody brought this up to me the other day. Maybe we should have delayed this trip by, what, one week, and then you'd be down here at St. Pete? That's right. right. How far are you from St. Pete? I think a little bit. I mean, I guess how far is the race course from um, Tropicana? Oh, uh, 10 minutes. 
the the racetrack itself for St. Petersburg, the main it's a street race, right? It's a street race. It uses part of the airport that's over there just past where the Salvador Dali Museum is, and then it goes right up like First Avenue, just south of the pier. So right along the water. The the Mahaffey yeah, Theater right there. Okay, we're about like 40 minutes, like sarasota Brandon area. We're close to, I think, where the Pirates have their uh, AAA, yeah, that's, not the AAA, uh, spring training. Yeah, Bradenton, I think, is where they are, because I've been down for their spring training, which the Indianapolis Indians obviously partake in that as well. Um, when does, I mean, that would be, you know, one of the things, Kevin, that I always thought would be super cool as a as a fan, and I mean, I guess this is like a something retirees like to do a lot, is just to take three weeks during spring training whether it be in florida or arizona and just go around and do the tours right and go to the different games mm-hmm. i went to a game i went to a pirates Orioles spring training game i mean it's like going to an indianapolis indians game but it's big league players and you're watching i mean it's great right i mean honestly one of my first sports memories is being down here it, it probably just was like my elementary spring break at the time with my family and i got ozzy smith's autograph and tom pagnazzi's autograph you remember tom pagnazzi oh, for the yeah. cardinals so do you still have the ozzy smith one got the ball yeah i got the ball in the case underneath uh rosie's bed in her room at home yeah no one break into my house and try to steal it um i know that's <laughs> worth a lot of money uh, and then I went to, this probably would have been three or, well, probably about a handful of years ago now, I was out uh, for the NFL owners meetings out in uh, Phoenix, and we went out to Goodyear and saw the Reds and the Rangers play and was able to get some really good seats, like right behind the dugout. And it, I mean, to your point, Jake, it is a very like interactive time between players in the game, talking with fans. You know, I, I guess I've never really sat that close at an MLB game, which is kind of interesting to watch. You know, guys go through their routines, talk to their coaches, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, I, I understand why people, you know, kind of make it more of a ritual thing or, you know, go out of their way to try and create a vacation around some of these sites. By the way, Reds? Well, where are you going to go? Yes, Mark. <laughs> Tom, Bag- uh, Tom Pagnazzi, an autographed Tom Pagnazzi baseball on eBay. Do you ha- Is it a baseball you have signed by him? Uh-huh, correct. Yeah, and Ozzy, so come on now. So is Ozzy on there too? Yes, so yeah. Ooh, see, I think that hurts it. That hurts it. You need Ozzy just by himself. Pagnazzi autographed baseball is 45 bucks. Let's see what an Ozzy Smith autographed baseball goes for. Now, I, I went, when I was a kid, Kevin, there used to be uh, Ozzy Smith and Alan Trammell signed baseball together, 63 bucks. There's no way that's right. Ozzy Smith's got to be worth more than that. When I was a kid, and people listening that used to go to Florida will absolutely know what I'm talking about. I think it was in Clearwater. I could be wrong. But in that area of Florida, there was this magical, like majestic, garden-esque restaurant. It was like an indoor-outdoor restaurant that was massive called the Kapok Tree. And... You got like a you could get like a Shirley Temple that came in this huge elaborate glass and like it, there were water fountains. It was this massive complex of an outdoor restaurant called the Kapok Tree with parrots and the whole deal. And we went there when I was a kid, and so I was probably nine, eight or nine. And at that age, seeing a big league ball player was the big or any athlete, right? I mean, it just was you're starstruck. And I was a Reds fan growing up. And Dave Concepcion was in the restaurant. My dad's like, Jake, that's Dave Concepcion of the Reds. So 
I waited until like there was, you know, he was done. My dad's like, don't interrupt him while he's eating. So I waited till he was done eating. And my dad, this shows what year it would have been or the era. My dad had a checkbook. So I took one of my dad. The only paper we had was my dad gave me one of his checks. And so I handed it to Dave Concepcion and he, he signed the back of my dad's check. But the fascinating thing was, and I've never seen this. Dave Concepcion, I believe, was a native of Panama. But his signature, Kevin, went from right to left. I've never Whoa. seen that. I still have it. But he signed it. He signed his name like he started on did the it right. Look normal? It did. It was a cool looking signature. But he started it on the right, and then the D for David. You know, he he it moved to the left. The the the, the round part to the left, and then A V I D, and then the C again. He did the C facing to the left, and then signed Concepcion the rest of the way. And it was like if you hold it up to a mirror, it says David Concepcion. Otherwise, it's like, however you say, David Concepcion backwards. Harry Carey would have had a field day with it. I don't know. <laughs> I, I know we're all on the edge of our seats. Uh, the over-under for the Reds this year in wins. What did I say last year? Like 55? Um, 70. 60. 66, I'll say. Mark Dykedon, 65 and a half for the Reds. That is the third smallest in Major League Baseball. The Athletics and the Nationals, only teams with really the Nationals. I thought the Athletics like made the playoffs recently. They, they have been. I mean, the A's have forever been the team that the overachiever. You know, Billy Billy Ball, right? I mean, every year the A's are the same team every year. The A's are the same team every year. 21 games out of first place at the All-Star break. Come roaring, get into the play. They get super hot. They win 80% of their games second half of the year. They get super hot. They get into the playoffs. Everybody gets excited. They get beat in the play-in game every Ke- year. Kevin, I think you know what you got to do now. You already have the Pacers over bet of 30. you got to the over whoa, whoa, whoa. the Reds. Wait, four more. Come on now, Mark. You, you guys just, you know, you guys just accused me of jinxing Purdue earlier, and now you guys are trying to jinx the Pacers here. Uh, Mark, before uh, we get to Joe Wrights in a few, you care to guess the Cubs over under on wins? I'm going to say 77. Gosh, Mark, you're a degenerate. 77 and a half. Are you serious? That's Mark, what are you doing over there, man? I don't do much of anything over here. By the way, are the Oakland A's moving? I thought they were moving. I think no, they're no. getting a new stadium, I, they be the, I don't know. I mean, I the hope Vegas they stay A's. in Oakland, but that stadium is... I, I've been to... when I, We were at IndyCar a couple of years ago, and I... This was my planes, trains, and automobiles. We were staying in Larkspur, which is on the other side of the bay. I took a ferry across into San Francisco, got off the ferry in San Francisco... Uh, took a bus to the BART station, got on the train, and then took the train into Oakland. And Henry Woodford of Channel 13, who now works in the Bay Area, met me there and we went to the game together at the Oakland Coliseum. And it was like being in Riverfront Stadium in 1971, except for that like Riverfront Stadium was nice in 1971. At one point, did either of you say, those aren't pillows? <laughs> That's exactly what I said. Henry tried to sell me some shower curtain rings. I'm like, what are we doing here? Uh, What we're doing is a morning check down, by the way. The morning check down brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Speaking of Ball State Basketball, we'll begin with that. 7 o'clock tonight against Kent State. That game at Worthen Arena. So plenty of time to get up there and... See the Cardinals play. As a matter of fact, you could go up there, watch Ball State, and then go home in time to watch Indiana and Michigan State. Kent State comes in with a four-game winning streak 
against the Cards. Michael Lewis's group, 19 and 8 and 10 and 4 overall. And then, Kevin, it's Indiana and Michigan State. Hoosiers coming in at 19 and 8, 10 and 6 in the Big Ten. Michigan State at 8 and 7 and 16 and 10 overall. Might be a bigger game, Kevin, for the Spartans than it is for Indiana, crazy as that sounds. Yeah, I mean, you were saying earlier, Jake, you look at their record where they're at in the Big Ten, just lost at home, or just lost to Michigan by double figures over the weekend. You know, they're on the right side of the bubble right now, but they certainly don't want to trend in the opposite direction. Michigan State is actually favored in this one by two and a half. Indiana has averaged 59 points per game in their last four on the road. You look at the first matchup, though, and Indiana absolutely controlled at all four, all 40 minutes. Trace Jackson Davis, 31 and 15, uh, but the biggest story line in that one. Tamar Bates and Trey Galloway, each of them had 17 apiece. Certainly things that can't really count on away from home. So that'll be something to keep an eye on tonight. Over the weekend, Trace Jackson Davis talked about what it would be like to play at Michigan State coming up on Tuesday night, which indeed is their first home game since last week's shooting on campus. Yeah, first and foremost, um, just thoughts and prayers out to them. I think I speak for our whole team on that. And I love Coach Izzo, and um, that, that place is going to be rocking. Um, they're going to play with a lot of emotion, a lot of heart, and so we got to be ready. Um, but sometimes it's bigger than basketball, so um, obviously we just got to go in its business. But at the same time, um, it is what it is. Um, we're going to play hard, and they're going to play hard. And then if we get one, we get one, but we just got to go at them. A guy that's coached both those programs, Dane Fife, going to join us coming up 35 minutes from now. By the way, Dave Concepcion, thank you to Tony and Scotty. Uh, Venezuelan. I said Panamanian. He's Venezuelan. Uh, AP College Basketball Top 25. Purdue is fifth in the country. Indiana now 17th. Both of them the same in the coaches and the media poll. In the USA Today coaches poll, it's Houston, Alabama, UCLA, Kansas, and Purdue the top five. Same in the AP with the exception of the fact that flip-flop Kansas and UCLA. Jayhawks third, UCLA is fourth in that poll. Northwestern, by the way, 22nd in the coaches' poll. They are 21st in the media poll. Uh, NBA tonight, Kevin, or not tonight, but uh, NBA today, Pacers returning a little early from the All-Star break, right? Yeah, and one thing I didn't want to mention on Purdue, Jake, before you hop into the Pacers, I saw it's their 13th straight week in the top five. Imagine saying that to Purdue fans at the start of the year. You're going to spend 13 straight weeks in the top five. Certainly not something uh, that was expected going into the year. But as Jake said, the Pacers back to practice later today. It's going to be late afternoon, early evening practice as they return from the All-Star break. Again, they've only won three times in their last 19 games. They did win going into the All-Star break. A big comeback over the Bulls. But they've got the Celtics Thursday night over at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. So before the Fieldhouse uh, kind of turns into some different high school and, and college venues during the month of March. The Pacers will have a home game on Thursday before four straight on the road. Again, 22 games to go, 26-34 and 34 on the year. Currently sixth in the old Tankathon standings for those that are still holding out hope. On the play-in front for the Pacers, they are two and a half games behind Toronto for the 10th and final spot, uh, which again would be the play-in. If you're 9 or 10, you got to win two to get into the playoffs. Uh, all right, Joe Wrights, he joins us next. A lot to get to with Joe. Have not talked to him uh, this offseason. Shane Steichen, he actually played for the Colts when Jim Bob Cooter was an offensive assistant here. So we'll see if Joe has any memories on that front. And we'll talk to him about what is a very important offseason coming up for the Colts. Kevin and Quarry right here on a Tuesday, 93.5 on a 7.5. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. The fan. All right, two of my favorite guests here coming up in the next hour. I'll be Dane Fife at 9 o'clock. IU and Michigan State, certainly Dane. A lot of history of both those programs. Um, he joins us, I guess, 12 hours before tip-off, 9 a.m., with the 9 p.m. tip coming tonight in East Lansing. But right now on the Payless Liquors Hotline, he is Joe Wrights, um, one of the finest athletes the state has ever produced. And you hear him on the Colts pregame show and also Colts Monday night during the season. Our first time chatting with Joe here in the offseason. Joe, thank you for the time, as always. Um, let's just begin with the hire of Shane Steichen. Your thoughts leading into the coaching search, what were you hoping to see from the Colts, and what do you like or have questions about with Shane Steichen? Yeah, well, Kevin, it's great to be on and to hear that I'm one of your favorite guests. That, uh, that makes me happy here on this wonderful fat Tuesday morning that we have. Um, but I, I, I think as we, as we go to, to coach, I'm excited. Again, I don't know him, you know, don't know him personally. I think he's got some great endorsements from some guys I have a lot of respect for. I mean, when Phillip Rivers gives you a ringing endorsement and you're able to coach him and you're four to five years younger than Phillip, I think that's awful impressive. And I actually talked to Ben Igelana, um, a name that Colts fans will remember, you know, Ben and I played together. He's actually a scout with the Eagles now. And I talked to Ben about him, and he said, you know, Shane is awesome. And he was ranting and raving. He goes, but the biggest thing, Joe, I thought Shane was like 42 or 43. You know, he's my age. He's 37. But clearly he carries himself older. And I think when I watch the press, great offensive mind and quarterback development, which obviously we're going to need in Indianapolis, I think to a high degree of emotion – and I think that's going to be good for this ball club. And I think three, accountability. And to me, the accountability piece is probably the most important. I just think for the Colts and to get the winning culture back that we've experienced in Indianapolis for so, so long, they need a higher degree of accountability you know, within the locker room on a day-to-day basis with players, coaches, and everybody in that building. You know, Joe, one of the things to me that was intriguing about him, and I want your thought on this, about Shane Steichen. We talked about this with Rick Venturi as well. When you look at the quarterbacks he's worked with, you know, Phillip Rivers, Justin Herbert, obviously Jalen Hurts, to me that says that that gives them, the Colts, a little bit of flexibility in this quarterback class. In other words, you're not pigeonholing yourself of we have to get quarterback X because they run the system that this guy runs. That, to me, is a pretty versatile list of quarterback skill sets, which means that there is some flexibility from Shane Steichen in terms of what he can bring out of a quarterback based on that quarterback's style as opposed to forcing them to play his style. You agree with that? A hundred percent. It's three unique, different quarterbacks that are all very good, and one's a Hall of Famer. And you have three different type of offenses. To to go to a basketball analogy, you know, Bob Knight was going to run motion offense and play man to man defense. And in my opinion, hard to argue that, that he's the best coach ever. But you know, he wasn't changing any of that. And there's certain NFL coaches that say this is our system, this is what we're going to do. And there's others that are going to say we're going to be flexible. We can evolve from season to season. We can evolve from game to game. And I think that Shane is going to be one of those guys that 
you give me X quarterback with this skill set, we're going to build the offense around you. We're going to go in and play this game. We can evolve and be kind of a week-to-week type game planning thing. So I'm excited to see his offensive mind with the different people that he's been around to put his own twist on things. But again, the quarterback development piece is going to be the key. And whoever the Colts decide to draft in the draft coming up in a couple months, that's really going to be key because the bottom line is, you know, we've had inconsistent, you know, quarterback play really since, you know, Andrew retired. And you got to have a guy that you can count on and build around for the future. Who that guy's going to be, I don't really know. I don't watch enough college football to have strong opinions. I think all three guys have some positives. All three guys have some negatives. So it's going to be interesting to me as this scouting process goes on, combine here in Indy next week, which is great. Who the Colts have in their saddle, so to speak, when we come to the draft in late April. Again, Joe Wrights is with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Joe, I want to go back to that accountability word that you used earlier. That was something that Shane Steichen mentioned a week ago today in his opening presser as maybe the biggest thing he learned from Nick Sirianni. When you think about the word accountability, how much of that is staff-to-player driven and how much of that needs to be player-to-player driven within the locker room? It's a combination of both, but I'm a big believer, Kevin, that good teams can be coach-driven, great teams have to be player-driven. And I think the leadership, the accountability in the locker room is so important. But I also am a believer that you know coaches need to bring that on a daily basis too. And whether it's coming from coach, whether it's coming from player, obviously the ideal combination is, is some of both. That's, I think, what really has uh, been lost, and that's – that's crumbled a little bit over the last couple of years. And, again, I don't know what the answer is, but I do think him talking about accountability and preaching that, and that's what he learned from Nick Sirianni. The bottom line is the one thing I know from playing nine years and being around a bunch of guys, guys want to be coached hard because guys want the coaches to push them to a position they can't get on their own and take them to that next level. And everybody in the NFL wants to be the very best player they can be. And in my opinion – the easiest way to that, the most surefire way, is from tough, accountable coaching where you're really on pins and needles on a daily basis. It's not the most fun play. Believe me, it's not the most fun to have angst and anxiety in your stomach or your brain or your mind day in, day out when you walk into the building because you don't want to get ripped by the coach for not performing. But guess what? It also forces you to the very highest standard that you can be and helps you become the best player. Joe, is there a a balance, I guess Joe Wrights is our guest on the Payless Sugars Hotline. From a player's standpoint, is there a balance of understanding that being pushed, but also not allowing it to then create resentment or a pushback of, you know what, I, I, I get it, man, I'm a professional, I make a lot of money, I've done this a long time, and then just naturally tuning a guy out. And does that actually happen with guys, and that's why you see coaching changes every four or five years? Yeah, it's a hard line. It's a really fine line, but I think the best coaches are able to get through to everybody on the roster and know that you know, you're not going to coach everybody individually. If it's a rookie versus a 12-year veteran, that's a different story. Some guys are more highly charged emotionally than other guys. You understand as a coach and you really figure out, how can I best maximize you know, player A and player B's performance on a daily basis? But I do think the best coaches I've been around – have been those ones that are highly accountable, but you know they're doing it from a place of love. And you know they're doing it because they generally want what's best for you, not what's best for them in their coaching career. It's kind of that transactional versus transformational coaches. 
And I think that's where, uh, you know, it sounds like that Shane has a lot of those qualities, you know, and obviously you hope that things uh, unfold that way over time within the Colts locker room. But I'm a big believer of that That fine line is really where you got to be as a coach. But I do think that, to your point, players don't care what you know till they know how much you care. And you have to understand and get through to players that this is out of love, this is out of good for you and for the team, and – Nothing that I say is personal, even though I might coach you really hard. And, and that's hard sometimes as a player. You think, well, this is kind of getting personal, but it, it's that ability and, and everybody's got to be in that same um, that same level of trust. Everything's got to come down to you have to have that trust, player to coach, coach to coach, player to player, so that you know you can take hard criticism and accountability and not get personal about it and use it to be a positive, not a negative. Joe, it was Kevin actually got this question out of this answer out of Shane Steichen at his press conference where he said that he will be Shane Steichen as the head coach, the guy that is calling plays offensively. We now know that Jim Bob Cooter is the offensive coordinator. Jim Bob, baby's back. How about that? I mean, and trust me, you think we haven't been excited to be able to say Jim Bob Cooter every day? But well, did you I, know I, him uh, at all, I, Joe? Yeah, so I was with Jim Bob for two years. He was an offensive assistant in 2010 and 11 when I was here and got to know him pretty well because he did a lot of the scout team stuff. So he'd be drawing up all the cards and get to know him. Great guy. Uh, I would say uh, really, really, really good football mind. I mean, you could tell how sharp he was. It's obvious him and Peyton had a strong connection, and there's a reason that you know Peyton Manning brought him out to Denver with him a couple years later. But I'm excited to see Jim Bob back in the fold for sure and I think he'll be a valuable asset to this offense well so I wanted you to offer some perspective Joe as a guy that's been in offensive meetings your entire career obviously tell me the role of an offensive coordinator if it's an offensive coordinator that is not calling the plays so their their responsibilities you know we on the outside think offensive coordinator that's just the guy on the sidelines with the little sheet that's covering his mouth and he's calling the plays if he's not if he doesn't have that responsibility then the other stuff that goes into it is what? And is it, from a player standpoint, is there any concern of a head coach also taking on the play-calling responsibility? So two questions for you there. Yeah, I, I don't think from a player concern there is because who are the two teams in the Super Bowl? You know, Andy Reid calls the plays and Sirianni calls the plays. So that's a pretty easy argument right there. Um, but I do think that so Jim Bob, you know, he'll be in a ton of game prep putting the game plan together and you know i don't know how it's going to work interworkings but i would imagine hey this is the the game plan that we would put in what do you like about it what do you not even on game day suggestions here's our first 10 15 call sheet and then it's up to you know shane on game day to figure out what he wants to roll with but i do think you've seen that model happen more and more in the nfl especially in the offensive side of the ball where the offensive coach is calling the plays he's the head coach and the coordinator He's there to support him in all those other different roles. But I am excited for Jim Bob. I do think he did some good things in Detroit. Again, I think his he's, he's borderline a brilliant offensive mind in terms of his memory, his recall, and, and I would imagine they'll be very collaborative in terms of what they're putting together You know, to roll out the offense Sundays at 1 o'clock. Getting three years calling the plays for Jim Bob Cooter up in Detroit. Joe Wright's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Joe, um, the offensive line issues last season well documented. You know, if you look at it from a starting standpoint, nobody's a free agent on the offensive line. The Colts could bring back their entire O line. If I gave you just kind of a blank slate, and you know you were in charge of the O line this off season, how would you react to the personnel up front? You know, who, who would you give kind of starting spots? 
two in Sharpie? Who would you say, all right, we need to add some competition here? How would you handle the O-line? Yeah, I mean, I would probably roll with the five guys that finished the season. I think that, you know, left tackle and right guard, you know, I think Will Fries did a nice job. I think Ryman, he's in a tougher position at left tackle. I really thought he battled. I really thought he got a lot better. Of all the five guys on the O-line, I thought that, you know, I think his arrow is really pointing up the most in terms of, you know, his career unfolding. And I think he'll continue to get better. I also think we do our left tackles a disservice oftentimes and leave them on an island too much and say, well, we'll just let them go battle. Well, that's all fine and dandy. So you give up a sack or a hurry in the fourth quarter and end the game. And, and we've seen that story, unfortunately, unfold here for too long. So I'm hopeful that, you know, Shane will give him some more help and make things more advantageous to build up his confidence. But I do think he's going to be a player. But I think there, there's really a lot of reasons why the offensive line struggled last year. A lot of it comes down to the lack of a running game, the lack of Jack Doyle, who I still say we, we made a mistake in not having somebody to fill his void better. He just blocks so well and does so much different things that none of our tight ends on the roster could do. That hurt our running game. But the lack of a downfield passing game. You know, we had to have no downfield passing game, so people were playing tighter and tighter and guys in the box. And there's no threat to play action, throw it over your head for 50 yards. And I'm excited to hopefully bring back the deep ball this year. But the bottom line about the offensive line, I'm going to go to one of my favorite quotes, uh, and it's the law of the jungle. You know, the strength of the wolf is the pack, and the strength of the pack is the wolf. It doesn't matter the five guys. It does because you got to have talent, but it's not five guys playing as one unit. And I feel like because of the differences, the different combinations, the lack of success we have, we didn't have that pack mentality as an offensive line that some of these past Colts teams have had. And to me, Kevin, that's the most important thing is to get kind of that pack mentality back with the Colts O-line. So were there guys on the line that were selfish? No, no I don't. I didn't say that, and, and I wouldn't say that. I think it's a matter of when things start going south and they start crumbling. And again, they had, what, six or seven different offensive line combinations? You just don't have that same level of trust for the guys you're with. The best offensive line I played on was the year we went to the AFC Championship game. I was at right tackle. I wasn't a great right tackle. Lance Lewis was at right guard. You know, he was a holdover. He had been cut four or five times. You know, we had Jack Newhart. We had Colin Holmes, and we had Costanzo. We weren't the five most talented guys. We weren't the best five guys. But for some reason, we came together, and we had a great trust, understanding, you know, and and we just kind of played together better. And, again, offensive line is about one unit. It's not about five guys. The Colts got to get that one-unit mentality Joe, can can that be created – and this is such a, a a novice question, admittedly. But offensive line itself, can you patch things or solidify things a little bit with schematic change? Or is it the one unit in football that really is just about the camaraderie of understanding and knowing the feel of where your teammate is at all times and simply having that time to work with one another? No, it's definitely both. And schematically, you know, if you have more offensive weapons, and again, if we're able to throw the ball downfield more and just loosen up things and get some points on the board. The other thing about O-line that people don't necessarily think about, when you're behind like the Colts were 10, 15 points every game, what do you do? You go into the second half, you got to throw it every down. And then O-lines get destroyed generally by D-lines because they're pinning their ears back and they're a track stance and they're just getting after the quarterback. Those are hard games to be in. Those are not fun games to be in. So I just think overall, 
offensive improvement will help the offensive line more than any other position group. Joe, we'll end with this, and I know you have a lot of fond sports memories um, in your career from an individual standpoint. I know this maybe wasn't the result you were hoping for, but one of my kind of early-ish memories is a, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong on these details, was it a sectional final on a Monday night at Carmel High School for you guys playing A.J. Ratliff and company, or am I I imagining things? The, the North Central girls team was in the state championship. Shout out, Jake. I know you're excited. So That's they right. moved the sectional from Saturday night to Monday night. We played at Carmel Gym. We lost. Uh, I didn't play particular well. We actually did a good job on AJ, who was Mr. Basketball, and Tony Pasley went to Tennessee and Wisconsin-Milwaukee. But there was some freshman named Eric Gordon who had like 20 on us. And I'm like, man, freshman really hurt mm-hmm. us. And then you come to find out. That guy might have been pretty good, but uh, no, we had some great teams at HSE, and you know this time of year, right? Sectional basketball is always so excited for the state. I couldn't wait to watch the draw and you know get things going, and it's uh, it'll be exciting time here in a couple weeks with hoops in the state of Indiana, like it always is. And, and let's talk college basketball. I know you were talking about Dane Fife, who slightly is below me in terms of your favorite guest, Kevin. Um, huge game for Indiana, and bottom line. Northwestern's in second place right now, but Purdue and Indiana are the two best teams in the Big Ten, in my opinion. Uh, I think Purdue's a a step or two ahead of IU, but boy, it's fun for me as a college basketball fan when the two best teams in a 14-team conference are Purdue and IU, because that's what I grew up on, right? Gene Cady and Bob Knight in the, you know, mid-90s to early 2000s battles that they've had. It'll be a super fun one for fans in Mackey on Saturday. I know IU's got it. Michigan State tonight will be a tough game, but you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you're a fan of basketball in this state. I mean, that energy is just going to be just buzzing when you get to that game Saturday at 730. Joe, I want to wrap with you. Joe Wrights is our guest on the Payless Sugars Hotline, and I appreciate the time this morning. And I know that what I'm about to ask you, you've gone over 10,000 times. But for the person listening that has not heard any of those previous 10,000, I have always felt that you know, I see more and more now, Joe, people that have their eight-year-old kid in the batting cage all winter long and people that are, like, sending their kid out to play basketball year-round. And I understand kids enjoying sports, but there are so many players at the upper levels that benefited from playing not specified in one sport but having the versatility, the footwork, the movement, the all of it, of the versatile background of multiple sports. How did you, when you were playing at Hamilton Southeastern, getting ready to play college basketball, did you ever envision that you would be an NFL lineman? And how did that transformation come about? How was it pitched to you? And how did basketball help you on the football field? Yeah, well, well, great question. And for me, basketball helped immensely with the football because of the footwork. You operate in tight areas, and I played in the low post. And the combination of having the strength and the toughness that football brings helped me on the basketball court. And the combination of quick feet and movement and operating in tight spaces helped me on the football field. And I'm such a big believer in playing multiple sports if you're able to. 30 of the 32 first-round draft picks last year in the NFL played multiple sports in high school. And the bottom line is all of your studs, right, your studs that are going on to play in college, in the pros, they almost always play more than one sport. Because here's the bottom line, the most important trait, the most important trait in being a great athlete is competitive greatness. That's what John Wooden talks about at the top of his pyramid. 
It's the ability to be at your best when your best is needed. And just going out and compete. And this is the last thing I'll say. I hear all the time players and coaches, well, we played hard, we played hard. There's a big difference in playing hard and competing. And the very best athletes, they compete every single play. And that's what you get from playing more than one sport. And to your point, the specialization, or even in my opinion, just water down where you play seven AU games in a weekend. Well, we lose a game, we go to McDonald's, what time's the next game? There's no competition in that. And that's what one thing that we try to develop in our athletes and our own kids is that ability to know you got to go out and give your very best, but you got to compete day in and day out. Those are the guys that end up being, you know, your professional athletes in the future. There's a reason why Indiana All-Star here in basketball and obviously had a very accomplished career in the NFL as well. One of the finest athletes the state and individuals the state has ever produced. Joe, thanks for the time, my man. Hope the family is doing well. Enjoy the Fat Tuesday, and uh, we'll chat with you later in the offseason. Yeah, sounds great. We'd love to get back on when we get into free free agency time and draft, and uh, there's a lot of hope and excitement for this Colts franchise, and uh, I'm definitely in line with – sharing that view that the future's bright here. Joe Wright's right there. Thank you, Joe, on the Payless Liquors hotline. Dane Fife joins us in about five, eh, maybe seven minutes. The 9 o'clock hour is underway. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. It's 9 o'clock in Indianapolis. It's technically 9 o'clock everywhere in the Eastern Time Zone, for that matter. On a beautiful Tuesday morning, Jake Query here along with Kevin Bowen, Mark Dykton as well. 12 hours from right now, approximately, up in East Lansing. It is Indiana at 19-8 and 8 and 10-6 and 6 in the Big Ten, taking on the Spartans of Michigan State at 16-10. and 10. Joining us now on the Payless Sigurds Hotline, a guy that knows probably more than everybody in the state combined about both programs Dane Fife, who has coached at both places, joins us. And Dane, I'm going to begin with this, and I somewhat apologetically just for the circumstance in itself and that fact, but I wanted to give you the opportunity before we even talk basketball here. Uh, look, I would assume that East Lansing and Michigan State both are places that are very dear to you. You've spent a lot of time there along with your family. Um, and it's been a difficult circumstance. I think Tom Izzo has been a great leader in navigating the Michigan State community through their emotions since the shooting on the campus in East Lansing, but wanted to give you the opportunity to just kind of address that and what you think kind of the protocol is here in terms of this gathering again for the Michigan State family tonight. Well, it's the first game, as you guys know, since uh, at least the first men's game, men's basketball game, since the, the tragic situation happened. And look, it's it's like it's home for for my family. My daughters were raised there for for ten years. One daughter was born there. One daughter in Fort Wayne. But my daughters were raised there. Um, very familiar with the student union. Very familiar with Berkey Hall. With yeah, I used to I used to drive drop some players off there, you know, on snowy days, and it wasn't a fun drive. So I'd complain. I mean, those those places are just so familiar, and to think that that um, you know evil came to 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 my home, one of my homes uh, in East Lansing. Um, here here's the scenario though, because this is what. Michigan State is about 
um, that I learned. And, and you learn this, um, Jake and Kevin, and, and I'll try to be quick here, but you know, think of think of it as a small town with with a coach that's in Tom Izzo. That's the, the community has kind of taken on his work ethic. You know his his the good things about him, um, his his dedication to the community, um, and when I say family, guys, it's it's the true sense of the word. There, there is something that's in place when I say family, and then there's something perhaps that's, you know, people say family, that they're, they're trying to build a family. Well, Michigan State, it's in place, and that emotion tonight is going to be felt by the country um, when, when you watch what goes on there. The emotion, it's going to be raw, it's going to be real, and it's going to be powerful. And, you know, the, the, the good news is that there's going to be a game that's played in, in every sense of the word, the word dedication. It's going to be dedicated to the people that are impacted the most, the families, the victims. It's going to be dedicated, and they're going to feel it as well. They're going to feel the amount of love and compassion for that, that community and those victims and their families. It's going to be. There's going to be nothing more powerful than than what you're going to see tonight, Dane. With that, and, and I appreciate those words. I, I wanted to ask you from a. You know, you look at Tom Izzo. How do you navigate? I guess, and maybe that's why Tom Izzo's in that position and not I, right? But I, there's not a blueprint on how you navigate okay. through trying to guide young people that are dealing with their own emotions on everything, but at the same time are also the ones that are entrusted to allow people the diversion to be able to move forward as a group. How, how do you kind of navigate, do you think, if you're Tom Izzo, working with your team on that and also understanding the task at hand? Well, he's a brilliant leader, uh, Tom Izzo is, and um, he's not perfect, and I was – I was proud of him the other day when he got up to the podium and had his stuff written out because of the way certain evil people will twist words. And I say certain, and not everybody, but um, when you get up when, like Tom Izzo does and, and speak from your heart, um, that's what people have come to know and, and people have come to, to love about him. Um we hear it all the time. Kids, kids are resilient in sports, and they really are. And I and I know those guys. Joey Hauser, I recruited Malik Hall. I recruited uh, AJ Hogard. I was part of his recruitment. Uh, most of those guys there, and 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 the reason I say that is because uh, I've communicated with them. I know what they they're they're dealing with. I know what they've dealt with, but. When it comes to Michigan State, when it comes to the men's basketball program, they have a responsibility as well to do their job, which is three parts. It's you go to school, you play basketball, and you act appropriately and accordingly in your social life. Okay? Well, they have a job 
they're part of one of their three jobs tonight is to play basketball to the best of their ability. And I think there's a lot at stake tonight and those guys will be ready and they'll be full of emotion, but it'll be good, positive emotion and it will push them through any ill feelings that they may have. He's Dane Fife. Um, some great perspective here on Indiana and Michigan State tonight and certainly everything that's transpired in East Lansing over the last week. Dane, I, I, before we move on maybe to the game itself and, and the Big Ten in general as we reach the final couple weeks of regular season, I do want to touch on the scene from Saturday night. You know, Obviously in this state, what Indiana and Purdue means and this Saturday, we'll see that in Mackey, certainly speaks for itself. I thought the scene Saturday night in Ann Arbor was extremely moving. I, you know, Could you share a little little bit about Michigan State and Michigan and that rivalry and what you witnessed, especially pregame on Saturday? Well, look, I I guess I was surprised from the standpoint that um, I don't remember seeing any of that across the country. And I could be wrong. When things like that happen, um, I was surprised that um, there was that, that connection. Um, not that Michigan University of Michigan isn't capable of it, but I was really proud um, of that of the scene. I, I went to the um, Indiana uh, Michigan women's basketball game prior to um, that. Uh, I can't remember what day it was last week, but Michigan had a Michigan. The Michigan women had on their warm up tops. They had warm up tops. And it had, you know, it was all Michigan State with a heart on it. And I got to get my hands on one of those shirts. They were awesome. But um, I just think that the sports community, uh, which has been ripped apart by COVID and, and you know, just the, the, the goofy times we're in, this is what the sports community has always done. You know, this is particularly because I've been involved in it, this is what the basketball community has always done. They've always put barriers down. They've always come together when, when things are tough. And But I, I was I was surprised, impressed, proud of what the University of Michigan and their, you know, and, and their athletes and their coaches, what they've done for Michigan State, but I think, look, I, I circle back to Tom Izzo. I mean, Tom Izzo, think about this, Jake and Kevin. When John Beeline got the job at Michigan, Tom Izzo invited John over to Michigan State to, and gave him a tour of Michigan State's new facilities, <laughs> their their <laughs> basketball facilities. And I don't know. You can come up with your rationale as to why. But nonetheless, I mean I, – Again, it's it's not just the community that's kind of taken on Tom Izzo's personality and who he is and what he does positively, but it's really the state. And so, like, a lot of those kids, a lot of those people, they read about it all the time. They can call it phony and all that, but really what it is, it's about taking care of one another. You know, Coach Izzo always talks about, look, I'm for the coaches, I'm for the game, and he was a big part of getting me getting the job at Fort Wayne as a 25 year old. And this is on the heels of me turning them down 
when he was recruiting as a player, I turned him down, him and his program, and yet he circles back and says, hey, you know, that's, that's, that was, that's all good, but I got a lot of respect for you and your family. Uh, I'm going to help you get the job at Fort Wayne. And I say all that because he's about the game. He's about people. And it's not just the Michigan State community, but it's the state. And I think really this is what, what Michigan's doing is giving back. Like, hey, man, we know you're our, you're our enemy, you're our arch enemy, but look, we're, we're going to take care of you when, when times get tough. Dane, I wanted to ask about this before we get to the game tonight, which I do want to talk about. Uh, Dane Fife joins us on the Payless Suckers Hotline. Your relationship with Izzo, I, I guess I've never necessarily pinpointed this or asked you this. You know, clearly you were a great player in Michigan as a high school player, but you chose Indiana. Your brother played at Michigan and not Michigan State. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, your dad was a coach. Is that where the relationship began with Izzo, just kind of being from a basketball family? Yeah, you know, I've known him since I was 12, and I've Tom Crean as well. I've known Coach Izzo since I was 12, probably maybe 10 or 11, but um, when he was just a lowly assistant. And... uh you know, the irony of the whole thing is, you know, my dad and brother played at Michigan. And um, I grew up Michigan, University of Michigan, the Wolverines through and through. I mean, the Michigan Hail to the Victors, the fight song, um, was probably like, uh, you know, like uh, one of the Quiet Riot songs is to, is to, is to quarry, Kevin. I mean, Hail to the Victors fight song was, was, was my life. That's right. But, uh, Guns and Roses, baby. Forever. <laughs> I've known I've known him forever, and um, and I'm proud to say that I have, and uh, we're we're still close to to uh, we're still close uh, to this day. Dan, you surprised Michigan State slight favorite tonight, two and a half points, considering how the first matchup went. Granted, away from home. I, I'm not. Yeah, I, I'm not because the Breslin Center is so tough. It, it's such a tough place to play it. It's not much different than assembly hall. Um, you know, but the students are a lot closer. That's not a jab at Indiana, but the students are, they're around. Have you guys been to the Breslin center? I I have not. I have not. I, the Breslin center opened in what year, Dane? I want to say 91. Yeah. So see, I I guess I have in my one year in college, I went up there, but I, and I can never remember, uh, was it Jenison Fieldhouse before that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I was in Breslin, yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, yeah. cool place, right? It is, and, and probably, you know, the Izone hadn't been formed yet. So that's probably your problem, Jake, is it didn't etch into your memory, into your subconscious, because uh, the Izone hadn't been born yet. That's right. Is that a good assessment? Yeah, I mean, it was um, Steve. I'll tell you what, Steve Smith is etched in my memory, though. Steve Smith and Sean Respert could fill it up, Dane. Ooh, Motor City Smitty and Respert. I used to wear the elbow pad on, on my elbow. That's right, because of Respert. Um, so look, it's it's uh, the Breslin Center uh, is a rough place to play uh, because they just they're they're so they've got a the zone and the zone. The things that they do, it makes it really hard for a coach to coach his team because every time you try to speak um, to your team when your team's on the floor, the, the it's like the Breslin Center's the the Izone's watching the coach. So when you try to give direction to your team, the Izone will chime in and 
and just start yelling. Uh, when you try to talk to the referees, the zone will chime in and just start yelling. And it, it, they've got their stuff, and they make it really hard for a team to play. But I'm, I'm not surprised because um, their backs are against the wall, too. I think Michigan State is in a situation where it's a must-win. Now, we can say their backs are against the law. I guess that's not necessarily true. But um, they've got to get a win here. And um, I think it's going to be a tough, tough game for the Indiana Hoosiers tonight. Dane, Jake was talking about this earlier. And again, Dane Fife with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Indiana-Michigan State, uh, less than 12 hours away from tip, coming up 9 o'clock. In East Lansing, uh, you know, Michigan State under Tom Izzo, you know, common theme is, boy, they always are peaking, right, entering the tournament. And, man, their success in March with, you know, all the Final Fours, et cetera, et cetera, kind of speaks for itself. Did you guys change anything, or even you as a head coach, did you want to alter your approach late February into March at all, whether that be practice time, whether that be, I don't know, scaling guys back, ramping it up? Like, was there anything you tried to do differently from a coaching standpoint Point at this point of the season to get your team peak in conference tournament into the NCAAs? You know, I think I think practice time would be an obvious one. But uh, so what you, what we tried to do, and, and I'll go ahead and just kind of bypass my head coaching career because we weren't really competing for March. Uh, that's not to say, first of all, we were in a one-bid league, if we were even in a league. We weren't in a league, so we had no shot at March. For my first three years, and then my second three, we were just trying to navigate the top half of the league. So we'll move. We'll we'll move right on to Michigan State. Um, I know this, and then and then Coach Knight as well. I, I know that we'd scale back, continuing to to dial down practice time, and so that's one. But the second part would be, uh, you know, it's a reason why Coach Izzo plays such a tough schedule on the front end is because. Uh, one, he wants to see, expose the team, expose the players to every league, all the, you know, at least the power fives as much as he can. And then, um, you know, so come March, we've seen and we've got film and we've seen kind of what each league kind of plays like, or at least their personnel. Um, and then uh, I would say, uh, you know, if you think of like a training camp, that first, that preseason first December, you're getting all your, getting through all your preseason, um, installing your offense, adjusting your offense. Um, your players are, you know, because of the, your players hopefully are, are getting healthy. They've, they've made it through the dog days, which is, you know, post Christmas, January to mid February. And now you're kind of, you're thinking about March, and that's <clears throat> that's really what Michigan State talked. I mean, they they play for March. I mean, they know that they're going to the tournament. They're talking national championships every year, and even now, even now, because our worst teams, our least talented teams, guys. When I was at Michigan State, our two least talented teams made it to the Final Four. Think about that. You know, our two least talented teams and. I'm not sure we we didn't have I, I don't well Denzel Valentine was a first rounder but when you think about the players we've had our two least talented teams made to the final four um you know there's a lot of things you can draw from that that you don't need the most talent 
is would be the main one. Does this team tonight, Dane, and this is crazy to say, Dane Fife joins us on the Payless Circus Hotline. It, I do look, there's not a lot, Dane, where I look at things and think that they're real good barometers of reality, like when it comes to reading stuff you know, online and whatever else. But the bracketologies in Joe Lenardi usually is pretty dialed in on, on where mm-hmm. things stand. He's got Michigan State right now as a seven seed. That, to me, seems high just based – I don't question Tom Izzo or Michigan State this time of year, but their body of work is such that a seven seems a little high to me. Does Do they still need tonight to try to cement themselves as a tournament team, or is that – do you think that's what Tom Izzo is preaching to his guys? I, I don't – well, that's that's a good point, Jake, and you make very few. Right? Would you Thank agree you. with that, Kevin? I, listen. Yeah, yeah. A, yeah, I think Mark, can we clip that out, please, for a show yeah. promo? Thank you, Dane, for that. We'll we'll send You're you welcome. a little money for that. I can Venmo you. No, don't. Well, I could use it too. Unemployed. I'm like your uh, early years I'm like your early years as an IU player, Dane. You you shoot enough times eventually one of them's gotta go in, right? <laughs> <laughs> hey, Mark, clip that one out too. My wife you got it. that one. <laughs> Uh, so, so Jake, I, I agree that Michigan's a seventh seed's a little high for, for Michigan State right now. I mean, record alone, um, you know, they're, they're eight and seven, and and I think they got Minnesota. They've got to make up. And to me, um, I, I don't. I think Coach Izzo tends to take it game by game, but I think by and large, the former players, the current players, everybody knows. Like, hey guys. They're not thinking about Tom Izzo's 25, 24-year straight run, whatever it is, the NCAA tournament run. But they're thinking about March Madness, the tournament. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, you get your little storylines with Indiana coming in, the best player in the league, one of the best players in the league, Trace Jackson Davis, uh, Indiana. Um, they, they tried to be uh, physical with – kind of out of their element physical with, with Michigan State when, when Michigan State played in Assembly Hall this year. Um, there's there's little storylines, but I, I do think that um, this, this could maybe kind of knock Michigan State, obviously out of a seventh seed, it could knock them into the, you know, the last four in. Um would you guys agree with that? If if they lose, if they win, you know, it catapults them ahead. But if they lose, it kind of knocks them kind of up into that. Here's the problem, Dane. The problem is if, if they lose, the problem for Michigan State is they're running out of opportunities to snatch really good quality wins down the stretch. Now, the Big Ten tournament changes right. that, obviously. Right. But, right. you know, they've had, I mean, losing to Notre Dame, like they've had some bad losses yeah. and they've yeah. played some good games, but they didn't necessarily, you know, they didn't beat anybody, right? I mean, right. Villanova didn't help you out in the long run. No, they've got the Kentucky win and Kentucky's playing better. It's not a massive win yet, but Kentucky's getting up there they're they're getting pretty good i I think the committee will look at it as a in in the end will look at it as a as a massive win they just never know you never know with the the different year in and year out what the committee looks at is really important um dane let's end with this sorry to interrupt yeah yeah Um, okay that's pretty rude kevin 
Apologies on that. Uh, Saturday night, <laughs> we, we, we do have the rematch in Mackey. Uh, obviously, it was really a tale of two halves in the first one in Bloomington between Indiana and Purdue. It's a week off for Purdue. I don't know if you would view that as advantageous or not to the Boilers. Certainly, the environment will be. Um, your your thoughts at the uh, second go-around between this one? That's going to be... I got a feeling it's going to be a really ugly game, but I also have a feeling that, you know, uh, on the heels of uh, the Boilers losing, what is it, three out of four, they just pulverized Ohio State. But um, I got a feeling that uh, the Hoosiers are in for a for a uh, tumultuous week. Whether they win or lose, it's <laughs> it's going to be physically demanding. Let's put it that way, because. You got the Spartans that are angry, and you got the Boilers, plus the rivalry game that are that are really angry, <laughs> uh, and they're going to be itching to play because you, when you have a week off, that's not seven days worth of worth of practices, but it feels like it. And those guys are going to be itching to play, and they're going to be itching to to get revenge on Indiana. It's going to be a, a physically demanding week for the Hoosiers. Dane, it feels to me, uh, Trace Jackson Davis in the last, gosh, I mean, it, we'll say six weeks just to throw a, a number out there, but the stretch that he is on here in terms of his statistical versatility is almost unprecedented in the last quarter century for Indiana. But what they're not getting seemingly is consistent help for him. Now, what I mean by that is there's not one guy that you can look at at every game and say, that guy absolutely is going to help out. Sometimes it's Race Thompson. Sometimes it's Miller Cops. Sometimes it's Trey Kaufman. Jalen hood Shafino starting to develop that a little bit. But if you were game planning against Indiana, are you better off coming up with game plans on how to limit Jackson Davis? Or are you better off saying, you know what, this guy is obviously fairly unstoppable. We're just going to go ahead and... and cut off the other four snakes. Which way do you approach it? I I think you absolutely have to be committed to trying to hold Trace Jackson Davis to zero points because of the reasons you just stated, because of the in- inconsistency of the other players. And I think part of the problem is, you know, Race has been uh, in and out of the lineup because of injuries. You've got Geronimo in and out of the lineup. Uh, and then you've got freshmen, you know, Renew. Uh, who's who's been a little or a lot less consistent than than Huchifino. and and you're right, Huchifino is coming on with the consistency part. Um, and then you've got Miller Cop. Sometimes he gets a lot of good looks. Sometimes he gets zero. And you've got Galloway. I think Galloway's still trying to find his his niche and his role uh, within the offense. Um, but but what you do have, and and you're right, is you have Trace, and his it is unprecedented. The unprecedented part to me is how often have you guys seen a player statistics, and I'm talking points and rebounding for Trace. It could be assists too, but they've gone up, and and it hasn't been just, hasn't been just by the, Trace's rebounding and points averages have gone up since conference play started. To me, that's an unprecedented part. I would say it happens almost never. And I hope one of you guys go look at it, because I know Jake would love to prove me wrong on that. That's but right. I think it's almost never that a guy's, if your minutes stay the same, I'm trying to throw in some caveats here, if your minutes stay the same, 
do your points and your rebounds go up? They've gone up like two and three, not a decimal point, like a whole point, two and three points, two and three rebounds. It's incredible what Trace is doing. And you talk about the, the switch flicking on. I mean, that, that switch is, is flicked on. I mean, it's like Jake in his 49th year. Uh, finally became a mature adult. <laughs> That's right. Fiftieth, yeah. actually. Mm-hmm. No, well, I, I know the flick, the switch flicked on, turned on in your forty ninth year. I think you've been mature <laughs> for about a maybe a year. Bit, Thanks, I appreciate that. You're welcome. Twenty two points. Together. Twenty-two and thirteen for Trace Jackson Davis in Big Ten play this year. To Dane's point, yeah, because usually Dane to take it a step further, your minutes usually probably um, you know shift a little bit. But you know, if you looked at it from a similar standpoint, uh, I, his assists too. I mean, that's the thing handling those doubles yeah. and the commitment from the scouting wow. reports. It's quite impressive what Trace Jackson Davis is doing here to close out his final season in Bloomington. Dane, really thank thank you for the time, first off, but especially those first 10 minutes. I know what East Lansing means to your family, uh, not only just professionally, but certainly from a personal standpoint. So appreciate the pers- perspective on that and uh, enjoy the game tonight. Hey, go Irish too, KB. <laughs> there yeah, we go. big one tomorrow at North Carolina. Almost beat Virginia over the weekend, Dane. Let's go. Let's go. Let's get it. Let's go. Dane Fife right there on the Payless Liquors Hotline, the one and only there. Um, we have got to get to a quick morning check down, then a pop quiz. 317-239-1070 for the pop quiz. Uh, let's do a speedy morning check. The morning check down brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. By the way, I think I said Trey Kaufman. I, I've had this mental hurdle with Trey Kaufman-Rent and Trey Galloway for like three years now. Eventually, I'll get those two straightened out. Uh, Men's college basketball, top 25, Houston, Alabama, UCLA, Kansas, and Purdue. That is the coaches' poll. On the media side, the same thing, except for Kansas and UCLA flip-flop. Jayhawks third and UCLA fourth. Indiana is number five or excuse me, Purdue is number five, Indiana is number 17. Tonight in college basketball, Kent State and Ball State. That game tipping at 7 o'clock at Worthen Arena. And then the game we just talked about, Indiana and Michigan State, 9 o'clock tonight up in East Lansing. Pacers back on the practice court, but of course the All-Star break continues. No action in the NBA tonight. Pop quiz coming up, 239-1070 is the telephone number. If you want to participate, yesterday we had a 5 for 5. Can we go to... Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Two in a row. We'll find out in just a couple minutes. Studied. Can you handle the pressure? Sharpen your pencils. It's time for the Pop Quiz with Kevin and Query. Brought to you by Jiffy Lube, Indiana's favorite oil change since 1985. All right, shout out to Todd from the streets of Carmel. In Todd's words yesterday with the 5 for 5 on the President's version of the pop quiz courtesy of Jake Corey. We're back to Scotty Johnston and the sports-centric pop quiz today. Uh, Jake, a number one through ten, and as I look at the answer, excuse me, one through eight, I look at the answers, I feel like this is doable. Number four could be a little tricky. I'd agree it's doable. I will go with the number three. Matt. Number three is who? Matt. Matt, what's going on, man? How are you? Uh, Pretty good. How's it going? 
Uh, good. How, how confident are you here on a 1 to 10 scale? Oh, we'll do about a 6. Oh, nice. Okay. okay. Like nice. Uh, Matt, have you ever called us before? I did. At least, uh, actually, a few weeks ago I was on. Okay. And how'd, nice. you, how'd you do? Uh, I think I got three out of five, so not perfect, but about sixty percent. Okay, uh, would oh, you? Very that's good, good math. math there, yeah. Would you like for me? That would be Jake, or for Kevin to lead you off this morning. Um, let's go with Jake. All right, here we go. Good, good choice, Matt. Um, question number one for you, Jason Tatum, fifty-five points in the NBA All Star Game. He was the most valuable player. Who was the last Celtic to win the All Star Game? Most valuable player. Is it A. Ray Allen? B. Paul Pierce? C. Kyrie Irving or D. Larry Legend, Larry Bird. Uh, I think we lost you there, Matt. Uh, guess again. I believe that was Kyrie. Okay. Um, <coughs> you know, later we're going to be talking Ball State chirp chirp. Uh, which guy's last name most would be uh, somebody that you would say chirp chirp about? What's that? That was Larry Legend. Okay. Yeah, I think he was breaking up there. Yep, so, yep, Larry Legend. Okay, number two, Matt, NBA season resumes on Thursday. As we enter the all the post-All-Star portion of the schedule, who is the leading league, Who is leading the league in scoring average? Joel Embiid, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Luka Doncic, or Damian Lillard? Luka. Okay. Question number three. Who leads the NBA in rebounds per game? Is it Sabonis, Giannis, Stephen Adams, or Rudy Gobert? You there, Matt? Yeah. Um, that's DeMontis. DeMontis, Sabonis, Giannis, Stephen Adams, or Rudy Gobert? Uh, let's go DeMontis, Sabonis. Okay. Okay, number four, John Rahm, Matt, is on top of the official World Golf Rankings for the 44th week in his career. Only three active PGA Tour players have spent more time atop the rankings. Which of the, the, which of the following has spent less time on top of the World Golf Rankings than Rahm? Is it A, Tiger Woods, B, Justin Rose, C, Jason Day, or D, Rory McIlroy? Absolute guess, but I'm going to go Rory. Okay. Last question for you here, Matt. 75 years ago today, this sports sanctioning body was officially incorporated. Name the league celebrating its 75th birthday today. Is it FIFA, the Pro uh, Pro Bowlers Association, NASCAR, or the Association of Tennis Professionals, better known as the ATP? Oh. They had a big weekend. And the choices again, I'm sorry. Had a big weekend. Uh, FIFA, PBA, NASCAR, or ATP? Oh, NASCAR. Okay. Boy, I have a feeling Jake Matt's going to be calling in in a month and say, well, I've you know, gone three for five, gone, and now I'm trying to go. He improved five five. 20%. Larry Bird was correct for question number one. See, uh, great, though. Uh, question number two, Kevin. Yeah, Luca, 33.3 points per game. Probably going to go down a little bit, right? Domas, yeah, that's right. Now that Kyrie Irving's there. Domas Sabonis, 12.3 boards per game is correct. Uh, Number four. I Gosh, I felt like this was 
I don't know, Jason Day or Justin Rose, I thought were two that you were debating between. He actually went with Rory McIlroy, but it's Justin Rose, 13 weeks at number one in the world. NASCAR was correct for number five. You don't get to come back tomorrow. You don't even get a lousy copy of our home game. You're a complete loser. Are you going to abandon being a Reds fan? Are you going to abandon following this team? Hey, we're on board, Mark Dykton. Yeah, we're on board. Everybody's zero and zero yeah. right now mm-hmm. in the MLB world. Uh, this coaching note before we get to the new Ball State AD Jeff Mitchell to round out the show. Uh, the Cleveland Browns have put in a request to interview Colts special teams quarter coordinator Bubba Ventrone. So again, nothing official on Gus Bradley or Bubba Ventrone. So it's probably a little bit premature to you know pencil them in 1,000% on Shane Steichen's staff. Bubba Ventrone did play several seasons for the Cleveland Listen, Browns. So I'll be very if, curious to see how that plays out. If they screw up the opportunity for my t-shirts of Sheriff Shane with the deputies, Bubba, Jim Bob, and Gus, I'm going to be livid. That's all I'm saying. Now, tell me you've seen pictures of Bubba Ventrone as a player. He looks like a Bubba. <laughs> he totally does, yeah. He does. Uh, played for the Cleveland Browns from 09 to 12. So something to keep an eye on here as Shane Steichen starts to formulate his staff, and we still see a few dominoes from around the league. Uh, Ball State, new athletic director, going to join us next. Jeff Mitchell joins the program here. It's Kevin and Query on a good-looking start to a Tuesday. 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Jake, I know we mentioned this before. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. For the break, I think it's worth repeating. Um, Tom Pelissero, NFL Network, reporting that Bubba Ventrone, Colts special teams coordinator, uh, the Cleveland Browns have put in an interview request to interview him for the same position. We'll see if the Colts grant him that request. Um, I would argue Ventrone might be more important to keep than Gus Bradley. Um, I think how he handles himself from an accountability standpoint and the consistent success of that unit amidst a lot of turnover has been really, really strong. So as Shane Steichen, again, finalizes an entire coaching staff, I think that will be something to continue to keep an eye on. Tell them they can't screw up my T-shirts. I've already got them printed. <laughs> Bubba Gus, again, you need Bubba's Shane and Jim Cleveland, Bob. You need Bubba's Cleveland Brown picture on the back of that shirt. That's right. Well, you know what? It could be like those Browns jerseys with like 10,000 names on the back. It just happens to look like the Dukes of Hazard. Well, speak, speaking of names, we've got a new name as the new athletic director in Muncie. He's Jeff Mitchell um, taking over in Muncie, coming from Southern Miss, and he joins us now from the pay, uh, on the Payless Liquors hotline. Jeff, congratulations. Thank you very much. A, a T-shirt with Jeff on it may... Uh, fit that uh, wardrobe. <laughs> hey, well, you know, chirp, chirp, Cardinals fans would love that if the success there from the athletic <laughs> department uh, lends to itself there. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but a little look at the bio, I don't see obvious Midwest Indiana ties. So uh, what attracted you to this position? You know, th- there, there are none. But um, as I told President Burns during the process, uh, Ball State, to me anyway, has had such a fantastic reputation. I, I'm a student of intercollegiate athletics and higher education, and uh, when I have thought of the MAC, I have always thought of Ball State first, uh, for whatever reason. And I think that uh, goes to show the strength of the brand. And you know, I've worked all over the country, out west, and certainly in the southeast. 
and uh, it's always been that way. And so when the opportunity popped up, uh, I was very intrigued and uh, went through that process and continued to really fall in love with the place its mission and certain opportunities we have ahead. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, no direct ties, uh, but uh, I really like what I see in Ball State, and uh, I'm grateful that President Burns and his group uh, uh, showed a liking to me, so I'm excited to get started. Jeff, I'll tell you what, I, I it's my job to have an objectivity, right? And when people come on to, to not show favoritism, I mean, that that's kind of a, a journalistic rule. However, I really love the Ball State athletic facilities and what they do there. I just think that it's really underrated for people on the north side of Indy. It's a 45, 50-minute drive to Worthen Arena. I think the arena is fabulous. I think they've got not only, you know, we talk about the men's basketball program here, but the women are having an unbelievable season. But then there's volleyball as well. It just seems to me like it has kind of sleeping giant type feel to it because of the facilities number one but also the versatility of the athletics that are offered there above and beyond most mid-majors where we think strictly of basketball can you kind of take that and run with it in terms of your assessment of what you've seen in that yeah so i get chills thinking about it right now and you can't fake chill bumps and (laughs) when my family and i walked into worthen for the first time you know it was one of those moments where you just stand there in awe because you've seen pictures of it. I, I've been watching games uh, in the several weeks and months leading up to my appointment. and uh, you, But you walk in for the first time and you think to yourself as an administrator, uh, you know, hey, you got a chance here. And, uh, you know, in, in having conversations with Coach Lewis and, and Coach Sally, you, you know that um, – they feel the same way. And so we've got to do a, a great job of attracting fans to come and experience it. I've got a long track record of enhancing fan experience at the stops where I've been. And we're going to continue to do that at Ball State. Um, but it's not just basketball. To your point, there, there's a, a lot of, uh, of sports. Our portfolio is very rich. And we've just got to continue to expand that brand to make it uh, – entertaining when the fans get there uh, and uh, and showcase it and anytime that we can enhance the ball state brand we're going to and we're going to emphasize it and, and make it exciting and, and i think we can do it it's just a matter of uh, being a little creative but at the same time continuing to support our, our coaches and our student athletes to put the best product on the floor so that our fans will be excited about coming and he's Jeff Mitchell, the new AD for the Ball State Cardinals, joins us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Jeff, obviously what the basketball program is doing this season, what Michael Lewis especially has done in year one, kind of speaks for itself. But anytime you talk to an athletic director, they reiterate what football means to their entire athletic program. Mike New has been there, of course, for, you know, well, I guess it's kind of a... I think we lost Kevin. Jeff, obviously. Level, you came from Southern go. Miss. You know, what does what does football mean to an athletic program, Jeff? Apologies for the connection issue. No, no problem. Well, it, it means a lot. And uh, that's certainly a, a focus for our staff uh, and for me as I hit the ground running in March. 
you know, we will do everything we can to, to look at our future schedules. We'll do everything that we can to look at the game day experience and do everything we can to support Coach New and, and his staff and the student-athletes there. Um, you know, we, we've got to be a little bit more robust uh, based on my research and I like coaching you a lot. So we've been able to share some conversations already, uh, and uh, the infrastructure is in place. Uh, I do think with the facilities, I do think with uh, the quality of, uh, of coaching staff that he has, uh, and just the enticement of playing in the MAC. Uh, I think that uh, there's an opportunity to be very successful, uh, but. Um, there's a support quotient that's got to follow it, and uh, we need to increase our attendance, and we need to uh, increase the energy around the program. And I think we can do it, and it does mean everything. And you know, it sets the tone for the fall, and sets the tone for the rest of the year in terms of uh, an athletic department and the success that it has, and and really contributes significantly to the brand of the place. And so we'll uh, we'll get to, to work right away on uh, on trying to enhance things there but uh, i'm excited about it uh, and i'm excited about coach new and i think this uh, upcoming team has a chance to be pretty good so uh, we we shall see jeff mitchell comes to ball state after stints at southern mississippi and santa clara so hopefully he has plenty of winter coats he has bought for his wife and two children because that's going to be new (laughs) but jeff what are the biggest challenges when you look at ball state athletics you know, we talked about the areas that, that are intriguing to you. What areas did you look at and say, here's where I can be different and here's where we need to grow? Yeah. Well, I, I think, uh, you know, there's always a concern from a physical standpoint uh, with, uh, in, in terms of how intercollegiate athletics is changing. And, uh, you know, I've been at institutions that uh, aren't necessarily highly resourced. Uh, Ball State, uh, it, I think, is resourced competitively within the MAC, but I think we have to continue to improve our revenue generation. I think um, with my experience uh, and being able to enhance revenue generation at, at the two different places that I've been, uh, we'll continue to do that at Ball State. Uh, for, programmatically, I, I think we're strong. I, I, you know, we're very competitive within the league. Uh, I, I do think that we probably will give some um, different attention to some of the Olympic sports to try to elevate them as well. I want to be as comprehensively excellent as we can be, and I don't want to just singularly focus on a sport or two. I want us to be great across the board, uh, but it's going to be a lot of work for our staff in order to devote the resources and devote the attention to these areas that uh, we can. Uh, I've just never been comfortable with uh, targeting one particular sport or a handful of sports. Uh, I've just been able to, to be a part of athletics programs that see the big picture uh, and try to, to uh, be great comprehensively. So uh, I think in that regard, um, you know, it, it may be a little bit ambitious, but uh, uh, that's just the way I'm wired. Uh, so uh, looking forward to that. Again, tonight, Worthen Arena, it is a big one with Kent State coming to take on Michael Lewis's Cardinals. Three games to go after this in the regular season for Ball State on the men's side. It's been a great season, 10-4 and four in the MAC, and a chance to make a run potentially to an NCAA tournament bid. Jeff, congrats. Enjoy Muncie. My mom went there, absolutely loves it. Uh, as Jake said, it's a, it's a great place, and uh, hopefully you can build something there uh, pretty special. So congrats, and I uh, ho- hope the family moves up there safe. Thanks, guys. Go Cards. Appreciate it. Again, the new athletic director at Ball State, Jeff Mitchell, on the Payless Liquors hotline. Kevin, I'm telling you, um, 
when I was in college, a buddy of mine was a student manager at Xavier. We went up for a game against Ball State, and that was the first time I'd been to Worthen, and I loved it. I thought it was awesome. I thought it was a great arena. Yeah, you know, I I think I've sh- shared with you this before. One of my kind of earliest memories is Ball State winning the Maui uh, tournament, you know, back with, I guess maybe it would have been Tim Buckley as their head coach. Um, Theron Smith, I remember, was one of their – Patrick Jackson, one of their better players. And, yeah, I've kind of been waiting for them from a max standpoint to get back into the tournament. And if you look at their standings, I know Kent State is a really good team this year, um, but there is a little bit of parity outside of Kent State. Um, Toledo's also had a good season. So Ball State, a big one tonight in Warthen Arena. And as you mentioned earlier, that's a 7 o'clock tip, so you can catch that and then catch Indiana-Michigan State at 9. Their women also – having a fantastic year ball state's women's team as well uh final minute here kevin anything big planned for after today you're off the rest of the week so you're going to be able to enjoy florida what's on the docket for you yeah i think my brother and i are going to try and sneak in around a golf but uh, it'll be a lot of beach time with the family and again getting rosy in the pool and see some sights and sounds around the island i I don't know if I told you this, but Scott Rowland owns a restaurant out here. Um, I think it's the Ugly Grouper, so we'll have to make sure to stop in there and see if we can see uh, Scott Rowland there. And, and I will be curious on the Colts note. I know we mentioned this a little bit earlier, but Bubba Ventrone, um, you know, will he be off to Cleveland? Will he be on Shane Steichen's staff? I think that's an important guy to retain. You know, they obviously interviewed him for the head coaching gig, so internally a lot of people think very highly of him. Um, I'll keep my eyes on that. By the way, uh, I don't know about ugly grouper, but Scott Rowland going with the ugly grouping of the Cardinals cap instead of a Reds cap in the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown for what that's worth. But can't say I blame him. It's where he probably had his best years. (laughs) Kevin, enjoy it. We'll talk to you when you get back, all right? Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.